You know what? The McNugget is a fine thing. And yeah. I hated McDonald's for you. I, I didn't hate it. I hated on it. Then I realized, like, I kind of like McDonald's. Yeah. You know, like, you know, it's, it's, I'm, just, I'm not going to be ashamed of it anymore. I'm not going to eat it every day, but, like, you know. Every now and then, you just need that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, That's funny. That. He uh, also told us when he recorded with us that he just, he said he just came in from McDonald's. Yeah. It's funny. That, <laughs> yep. Uh, chefs are unabashed oh, yeah. about it. Like, yeah, I just had some McDonald's. Yeah, no, I love it. It scratches an itch that, like, it doesn't overlap it really with does. a whole lot of other yeah. things, you know? Yeah. Gives you a little piece of childhood. Yeah, my mother worked at a McDonald's when I was a kid, and if I was sick from school or something, I'd have to go sit in one of the booths while she was at work. You oh, know? wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got to see the McRib, you know, the first time the McRib, like, ever came out. I remember having one for the first time sitting there. and We've, we've actually, we, we're of two minds on this. So what is your thought of the McRib? I think my childhood <laughs> memories of the McRib are absolutely incredible. Yeah. The last time I had one, I was like, oh. and I was talking them up big to a friend of mine, you know, uh, and we got them just like, God damn it. Like, you know, I, I'm not going to lie. I would get another one. I totally would. Yeah. I usually get the, the McChicken, like the 99 cent McChicken. Or For whatever. sure. I love it. And either the filet of fish or like a quarter pounder, you know, sometimes a Big Mac. I've had many of my many of many of a fillet of fish in my. I day. love it, man. I always get extra cheese, right? Like I, they have to make it right there, mm. so it's ripping hot, you yeah. know. So you got to alter it slightly just to make sure that they're doing it. You're getting a special one. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's once once that hits anything but hot, it kind of congeals a little yeah, bit, like yeah. the texture yeah. changes. Yeah, it's no fun anymore. The <laughs> bun though is great. It's different than the regular cheeseburger. But, yes, one hundred percent. Yeah. The filet of fish has its own bun. Yeah, oh, really? it's like this chewier, almost shinier. Like it's its own. It's not really? the regular cheeseburger bun. Yep. I think when I think of it, I think of the same cheeseburger bun. But I haven't had yeah. I haven't had any of that stuff for so many years. Yeah. In my mind, I just remember the cheeseburger bun being on the floor. Maybe they did used to do it that way. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, it's its own thing now. Yeah, you're right. Shiny is the appropriate term mm-hmm. for that too. Shinier. Like it, it, oh. it reflects. It's it's wild. Awesome. Now I want to fillet a fish. Ronald, you've done it again. You <laughs> sum of a bitch. <laughs> awesome. Chef, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, the meal that you were preparing these last couple days well, at Mr. Paul's. Maybe we should have him introduce himself and then do that. Well, no, because we're, we're doing the slow. Okay, we're doing right, the, right. Let me do the Daytona roll a little all bit. Right, okay? You got it. You got it. <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, I guess the best way to start with this would be, uh, you know, obviously Nick Kosovich and myself had – we did a consulting project uh, a few years back here called Cena. Uh, it was this, you know, kind of doomed from the get-go Italian restaurant in Uptown. Uh, and, and per our contract, we had to spend a couple days a week there for the first three months. So I kind of had this idea I wanted to build a crudo bar and just to keep my – because I'm like, what am I going to do? You know what I mean? Like, So I'm like, okay, I'll slice raw fish. And then Nick was, like, doing martinis. And we do, like – two turns of 10 like Friday and Saturday night you know it was super fun like we ended up having a great time uh so you used to occasionally text me like <laughs> right before one would start and be really? like I got an open hey, seat come on. Get your ass over here. So it, but it was great you know like it was like I mean obviously I love fish and slicing raw fish and being able to hang out with you know one of your best friends too and interact with people like that and that uh, gin selection was so dreamy he had a huge yeah, selection. That's right. I oh think it God, was like maybe that. the biggest one in North America. And I think he got a little like, <laughs> I think someone else claimed to have a bigger one. He's had like, to find no, a couple like, more. No. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you had fantastic 
gin selection, you know. And that was a great, like, you know, it, it was it was me and Jamie opened that. Uh, yep. And then, you know, uh, uh, Nick and Ira and Marco and uh, the Bitter Cube guys at the time were doing the bar. So it was super fun, you know, just not the right location. Uh, but so that's kind of how those ideas of the dinner started. And mm-hmm. I've actually, you know, we did them here in Minneapolis. I had him come to Santa Barbara. I was, like, helping uh, kind of restructure a restaurant out in Santa Barbara. And so uh, we, I had Nick, they had Nick come out, and we did a couple of those there, which was super fun. And, uh, and Santa Barbara's beautiful. Like, you know, we're at the Four Seasons, so staying right on there. And, you know, Nick and Allie came out, and we got to hang out there. And then um, this one, you know, my, my wife was actually going to a bachelorette party, uh, so she was coming out here this weekend, so I'm like, oh, maybe I'll tag along, you know. Uh, so I called Nick, and I'm like, hey, do you want to do something? And he's like, yeah, let's do it at uh, <laughs> nice. the Balloon Emporium. So that's wow. kind of how, you know, that started. And, uh, you know, for me, it's like I didn't want to do all raw stuff. I think predominantly it was a lot of raw fish. Um, but because at the casino it was all raw. We do, like, yeah. raw beef, raw, every, you know. Uh, but so I wanted I had a, this idea for a pigeon dish I've been kind of working on for about a year or so and wanted to work it still needs work uh was this the first time you served it that yes, particular that dish? was the first time i nice. served it um and i mean i love the sauce the sauce is actually a, a buddy of mine trevor morin who has a place called locust in nashville and trevor was my sous chef oh. at catbird seat i have a tab for locust open on my phone because oh, i'm supposed dude, to go visit I, it's a friend out there. one of the best restaurants i've eaten at in years it's awesome. trevor is a genius absolute genius uh, I met him when I was at Noma, uh, in between Sea Change and Catbird Seat. I spent about four months at Noma, and Trevor was uh, we got to be buddies there. And then randomly he moved out to Nashville, so he uh, came on and helped me at Catbird Seat. Uh, so the sauce—it was a great sauce he did. I'm like, dude, can I use that? And he's like, I changed it a little bit, you know. Uh, but he's like, yeah, totally, you know. But he's like, you have to call it Sauce Ren, which is. His daughter, Ren. You the know. first open tab on my phone. That's amazing. Yeah. That's, that's fantastic. Yeah. So, and that's the beauty of cooking, too, man. When you get friends who you feel close with and comfortable with, and you can share ideas and learn something from each other. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's, I, I absolutely love that, you know, and uh, like calling each other up and asking, you know, questions about, hey, how would you do this? Or, you know, do you have a recipe for this? You know, it's like, it's great. I, I absolutely, I absolutely love doing that. Um, so, yeah, the squab dish, you know, I think I did a first version about a year and a half ago uh, and then kind of put it on the back burner. Um, and then what else? The little scallop canal. It's kind of a little ode to old school, you know, pike canal, which when we opened the Grand, I put pike canals on the menu because it's, you know, obviously it's a Leonese dish, Leonese dish and, you know, pike and crayfish are, you know, Leon, you know, so I'm like, well, we have both of those things here. So it just makes perfect sense to do that, you know. And people actually ordered it more than I thought. I thought it was going to be like, no, you know. The like, scallop canal? No, the pike canal at the Grand Cafe. Okay, yeah. Me and Jamie up in the Grand. Yeah, you know? oh, so, man. Yeah. Uh, we talk about, we <laughs> we reminisce about the Grand Cafe yeah, a lot yep. on this program. Yep. Yeah, it was a, you know, fun thing. And then I, you know, I was there. We got it open. And then... I had the opportunity to go take over Qua in San Francisco. And, you know, it was just, uh, I, I've, since I was out in Napa in 2006, I've always wanted to get back. And, you know, I'm not getting any younger. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to jump at this chance. And 
I mean, it's quality. It's an iconic, you know, American restaurant. So it was 06 um, when you were at French Laundry. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, and, you know, I've always I've always loved Napa. I think it's, you know, the greatest part of the country to be a cook. And it's like the greatest produce hands down, you know, um, and uh, it's just it's fantastic. You know, you get spoiled, too, you know, like uh, coming back or doing dinners in different parts of the country. You see stuff. And you're like, oh, you know, like, oh, man. How do you, you know, how do you guys use that? You know, not to sound you know, like a dick <laughs> right. or anything, yeah, but it's just like, we're just so used to stuff like out of the, like our friend Tucker, who has this beautiful farm at Kendall Jackson, like you'll get stuff that's just out of the ground in the, that morning, you know, right. like, hasn't even seen a refrigerator, you know, and you get spoiled pretty easy. You know? I'm sure. It's I remember like, when I first moved there, it was October. We went to the farmer's market at the ferry mm. building and they had strawberries and they're good. Stra- I'm like, yeah. God damn, you guys have strawberries in October, you know? <laughs> So I'd love a good strawberry. Oh yeah. yeah. Where the fuck do you get good strawberries? And then that, that weird, like, <laughs> like whitish color here, where it's yes. sort of like fading into red a little bit. I feel like I, we used to get better strawberries here. Now the strawberries we get are like just yeah. tasteless. No, it's, I love good straw. That's one thing I love about this time of the year. They're just starting out. And uh, I always like tell my wife, I'm like, I'm going to eat more strawberries this summer than I did last summer. You know? Yeah. Break and, and we, our, the farmer's market's right down the street from our house. So That's Saturday morning. Perfect. Load up on straw. They're so good. They're so good. Yeah, it reminds me of our, we have a, a conversation pretty routinely on this program about how Quam hates cantaloupe. I love cantaloupe because I've had cantaloupe in Lebanon. It's just, mm-hmm. it's, it's a like a good different cantaloupe fruit. or like a canary, me- like there's, there's, when yeah. they're good, they're just amazing. You hate cantaloupe? I hate cantaloupe here. Yeah, yeah you know, that like makes sense. It's, it's yeah, just, yeah. it's a, it's a filler fruit that yeah. they put in yeah. to take up the bulk from other things. I still I, like it when you can get like a really, or at least on the on the scale that we have here. If I right. get a really good one on our own scale here, like Marnie got an Athena melon the other day. Mm-hmm. I was like, it's a fucking cantaloupe. It's a, it's yeah, a cantaloupe. I, and I'll still like, <laughs> eat it in a They charge you more, but it's a cantaloupe. Yeah, it's a cantaloupe. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Have you seen those uh, crazy like high-end fruits they'll do in Japan? It's like, you know, $600 for a square yeah. melon. More than you know, that. Or like, like, yeah, a perfect just, honeydew yeah, for yeah, like yeah. 60 grand yeah. or something. Well, it's always those, like the one prized fruit. Yeah. They'll do those white strawberries too. You see yes. those? Yeah. Just absolutely amazing. We're I, getting I, those in some form now as well. Yeah, like I've see. seen them readily available more. Like, I guess there's yep. a company out of LA who sells them or does them. And okay. My buddy Roderick, he owns Rare Tea in Chicago. He oh, he had okay. them on there for a bit as well. Nice. Uh, but yeah. I've and they sell, to get your, they, they sell your caviar as well, right? No, California caviar. Uh, so oh, they, okay. Yeah. So uh, Deborah Keene owns a company called California Caviar. And she also owns, and I think she might be the only caviar producer here to actually own their own sturgeon farm, like this wow. organic sturgeon right. farm in Sacramento. I met Deb uh, when I was running Qua. Uh, we just kind of hit it off, and one day she invited me to, she's like, hey, you want to come learn how to make caviar? I'm like, absolutely, you know? So started that, doing that. She ran me through everything, you know, made a bunch of caviar with her, and uh, I love it. You know, it's, and it's a unique opportunity to be able to extract the row clean it you know salt it hand pack it like a lot of people will do a label you know caviar right. label where it's like you just print a label and they put it on caviar for right. you know, there's your this is everything i serve from there is actually made by me you're you doing know? it that's yeah. amazing yeah. Super cool. yeah so and it's, you named I, it after your daughter i did yeah she her favorite food is caviar uh there is a kind of epic picture of me giving her her first bite of caviar That's and she awesome. asked for another one then. That's and then, amazing. Yeah, I was in Florida doing like the with the Palm Beach food and wine thing. I don't remember what it was. And uh, at the dinner, she uh, 
I had a caviar course on the menu, and then the, one of the servers comes back and says, your daughter wants another caviar course. I'm like, sure, go, go ahead. I love it, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, so, and then, you know, any funds that happen to be made during the process will just get put in her college bank account, you know? That's it's really called, cool. It's called Piper Caviar. You can get it from California, California Caviar Company, Caviar. right? Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, it's great. We had some on multiple. We had it in a beverage, yeah, firstly. Beverage, which we had is, it with some lobster ice cream and then in the sauce with the squab. Uh, and it's, it's not, I think caviar needs to be what it is, you know, but the only liberty or difference I take with this is I cure it, uh, when I salt it, it's a really high-end Japanese sea salt that I do get from Roderick, uh, and then I mix it with 10% pulverized kombu seaweed, uh, wow. and so, I, and I don't want it to taste like seaweed, I just really want to boost that umami i don't yeah. know why mm. i hate saying the word umami i don't know why but i do unctuousness yeah yeah exactly oh, i love so, both of those words <laughs> I, yeah. <laughs> no I, I you know i realize it's just a weird quirk for me you know but umami i mean i said it so yeah um but yeah Twice so not now. really to change the flavor of it just kind of boost it and you know so yeah cool. it's been it's it's fun i love doing it you know a couple people i think uh rpm seafood in chicago just picked it up and so yeah it's slowly 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 coming out there i got to make more though i only made like 40 or 50 pounds i think but when you see 40 or 50 pounds of caviar at once it's pretty eyes get real wide and you cut so we'll take the whole fish you know and they're all ikijime killed and they'll still be moving an hour after they're dead you know and then it's very surgical you know we clean clean the bellies uh with uh rubbing alcohol you know and pads pads down you're wearing gowns and masks and hairnets all that stuff uh gloves and then scalpel the belly open and you have to really be careful not to nick the organs if you nick them you're going to ruin the whole yeah but yeah but when you open up a sturgeon belly and there's like a 15 pound row sack in there it's unbelievable you know i actually like it unsalted you know just like salted kind of all a minute you know and then yeah. it, okay. it kind of reminds me of like toro or something you know oh wow yeah it's pretty good but it's you know wildly unshelf stable you know and so it's that's why they pack it because it just goes bad so quickly but if you're fortunate enough to be taken out of the fish you can just you know yeah, I saw an episode of Alive where a guy ate some roe from a fish he caught mm. the day before, and he had to go home. Yeah. Really? <laughs> yeah. It didn't work out so well He's for like, him? this is good for you, and it's he a, ate it. And it's Solero-style caviar. That's fine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> next day, yeah, he was, he was, there was some shit running down his leg, that's for sure. Oof. So, uh, <laughs> okay. Chef, if you would like to introduce yourself to the people, even though they can see your name on the episode, this is usually how we uh, do it. Awesome, yeah. Uh, my name is Eric Anderson. Um... Currently living in Calistoga, California, northern Napa Valley. Um, yeah, been about it, really. What else? Do I, do I need to say anything else? I, the nice thing is we've already been going over a little yeah. bit of your resume, so we kind of yeah. introduced you in an organic fashion. Restaurants right. that people may know you from. Yeah. So I, uh, you know, here in the Twin Cities, you know, I, I, I really feel like my cooking career didn't start till I moved here. You know, I grew up working at my folks' restaurant, and they had a little diner uh, outside of Chicago. Uh, you know, it took some time off, and I really feel like, though, when I moved here, 
that's when I started getting serious about cooking. And, sure. You know, I, I was just saying, it's like, like Doug Flicker, you know, he's the first chef I work for here. And, you know, I don't think I'd be doing what I do without Doug and his guidance, you know. Uh, I literally knocked on the back door of Araiga on a Saturday to ask for a job, you know. And it's true. You hear people say, <laughs> actually, like, I had gone there for dinner, and I loved it, and went back for dinner, and I loved it. And I'm just like, all right, I need to work here, you know. So fortunately for me, he, they had just had someone leave. So he's like, come back at four. You know, I'm like, all right. Uh, and that's kind of the start of a, you know, lifelong friendship we've had. You know, we're still very sure. close. And uh, Doug's just an amazing human being uh, and just one of the most fantastic cooks I know, you know. Uh, so Araiga and then, uh, you know, from there, went out to Napa to work at French Laundry for a bit, then came back and to Araiga again. We opened Porter and Fry with Stephen Brown. Oh, yeah. Uh, so me and Josh Haberger were the sous chefs opening that uh, way. God, when was that? Like 2006, yeah, 2007, something, like something like that. All I remember is the RNC was in town that uh, <laughs> when we opened. You know, that was an interesting time. Uh, and then from there, I mean, a couple little stints. I taught at the culinary school for a little bit, which I realized I absolutely hated. Um, that was very much a in-between job kind of a job you yeah. know trying to figure and out as soon next. as i found somewhere to go i'm like i'm out see ya yeah. uh uh where else uh then uh you know i started talking with tim mckee things are kind of going south at porter and fry uh as they do at hotels um you know the the original crew was kind of quickly either being fired or departing and yeah. you know it's just i don't know like hotels they're just not really a good environment for a forward thinking or creative restaurant, yeah. you know, I'm more often there's obviously exceptions to everything, you know? Uh, so after right. that, you know, I'd start talking with Tim and he was uh, getting ready to do this uh, sea change project and he needed a executive chef for that project. And uh, so we, I think he came in, I cooked for him a couple times at sea change and I think he came in with like him, Isaac Becker and uh, uh, who else? Uh, I forget, but, you know, cooked two different times, and he offered me the job, and uh, that's kind of uh, really where I feel like my career started sure. taking off a little bit, you know, uh, and I got to work with some fantastic people, like, you know, Jim Christensen was my sous chef there when we opened, and, you know, I absolutely love Jim to death. He was here with me this weekend, uh, saving me uh, for these two dinners I just did. We were, yeah, um, we were just talking about that, and I was... I was so elated to see him because I haven't seen him in so long. And when we were in the Uber, Derek, who owns Club Caraway, where we're recording, the beautiful Club Classic Caraway, confines. You know, smoking it's, cigars. Yeah, absolutely lounge, gorgeous. You know. uh, I had, he asked me if I dine in Uptown, and I told him, not really, not that much anymore. And he says, uh, I said, I used to come here for this one restaurant all the time. And I told him it's heyday. So I was talking about Jim Christensen in the Uber, and 20 minutes later, he walks up to the bar, and I'm like, holy shit, chef, where have you been? Yeah. So that was, he was, that was my delightful. secret weapon in the back, you know? Yeah. Uh, just because, like, you know, the, the kitchen's a little further away from the bar, so it's like, I can't, like, do this and then come out here and do that. And right. I'm like, covering a lot of Jim, ground. you got to come help me. I'm like, I don't even know if I can pay you, but just come. So. <laughs> Uh, but no, it was I. Any chance I can get to spend with Jim, I love it. He's just such a great person, and uh, so yeah. Sea Change opening that was a blast. Uh, it was a really, really good time. I think the first time I had met Jim was at an airport, and me and him and Tim were going to this Boston seafood convention, 
uh, you know, and I knew Tim, was starting to get to know Tim, you know, that was early on and had never met Jim before ever. Uh, so we went for this weekend of just, it was to this day, and I think Tim and Jim will both say, all three of us had the worst hangover of our life. Like, <laughs> and we had to be at this convention thing for like meetings and lectures at like 8 a.m. And we were all like throwing up in the bathroom at the, like we went crazy the night before. You know, I think one of the guys from the Fish Guys was with us, and he just could not hang. So at about 9 o'clock, we were like, he was all crooked walking down the street. We had to drop him <laughs> off at his hotel room. And then we hit, like, five other bars after that. And it was just, yeah. it was. And the next day, he was, was in good shape. The next day was like horrifying. Yeah. <laughs> like, I literally felt like I was poisoned, you know. Yeah. <laughs> or, like, throwing up randomly and trying to walk around this big, like, the Enormo Dome with, like, all this different seafood. And, like, they're handing out salmon. And Tim's favorite thing will be, like, oh, my God, you guys have to go try this. And it's literally the worst bite of food ever, and he does it on purpose. <laughs> you're, like, all oh, hungover, you eat it, you're, like, oh, you know. Chef prank. Yeah, oh, yeah. He's just looking at uh, you th- with a furrow brow. It was just, you know, we just all had such a great time, and it just, you know, it's, it was the start of something really special, really. You know, I think it, opening that restaurant was a really great time in my life, you know. Um, and, you know, it, it, I think I was there two years, two and a half years, you know. I met my wife there, which is great. That's, um, that's a win. Yeah, it is a win. I mean, although we didn't know at the time that was going to happen, but, you know, here we are. Yep. So, uh, and then I got kind of, you know, me and Josh, who we had worked together at Araiga, um, he was a cook and a buddy of mine, and Josh mm. is a very great cook. He's traveled a ton and worked in a lot of different places. And, you know, we started kind of doing these dinners with, you know, him and myself uh, when we started at Porter and Fry, you know, just kind of us two cooking for friends and then, Sometimes other people would come in, you know, and uh, that kind of evolved into the idea of what turned out to be Catbird Seat, um, which ended up, oddly enough, like we looked at spaces here um, and ended up just happening in Nashville. You know, Josh had moved. My family lives there. Josh had moved down there to open up the Patterson house that Toby Maloney was opening, you know, and... He I had no idea the seeds of that were planted here. I didn't know that there was oh, yeah, so, any thought of... Oh, yeah, me and Josh oh, were cooking here. Wow. And we, you know, literally from, like, doing dinners for friends, and we kind of had this idea. And we, you know, there's this place in Chicago, Schwa, which, you know, we both loved. And we're like, dude, we should just do something like that. And I think at that time it was really, like, the whole counter idea was uh, Brooklyn Fair and Co. I think were the only mm. two places in the country doing it, you sure. know? Uh, so... Josh had met Toby here. I think he was trying to get a job bartending. He had switched from cooking to bartending at uh, Brad uh, Brad Street, right? Yeah, Brad Street. Yeah, and then but Toby's like, yeah, I think we don't need anybody. He's like, I'm doing this project in Nashville, you know. So Josh ended up moving down there, which is funny because my family's there. I'm like, oh, cool. And then he met Ben and Max, who owned Patterson House, and uh, Josh, you know, pitched him the idea about what we were thinking and called me, and uh, you know, I left sea change and went to noma for about four months uh while we were building the restaurant in nashville uh and then came back and opened that up and i think that's uh yeah i have to ask like what was that experience like both living in denmark but also like working? i love copenhagen's an amazing city isn't it just beautiful yeah it's absolutely gorgeous uh i it was great you know it was kind of i've kind of always had this i don't know person it's like if i want to I'm an avid cookbook collector. I love cookbooks, you know. Uh, 
But if I really want to see some, everyone was talking about the Noma book. It had just come out, all this stuff. Like, I just, I have to go see for myself, you yeah, know? Yeah. Fortunate for me, uh, this guy Milton, who I'd worked with at French Laundry, was one of the pastry cooks there. Mm. So I called him up and reached out to him. And he's like, yeah, yeah. He's like, let me talk to Matt Orlando, who was the head chef at the time. And they're like, yeah, come on out, you know? Uh, it was a great experience. It really, really, really was, you know? It was just... Like, you can read a book all you want, but I'm like, at a certain point, I like, have to see it for my for own For sure. Time. And I'd spent... Especially somewhere like that, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like I, honestly, the majority of my time there was spent uh, not doing service. I did service for about a month, but I really spent the most of my time working on the, in the test kitchen, which is on a houseboat. Uh, it, yeah, so it was... That's so Didn't awesome. they recently actually put it in a facility? But yeah, they did. Very recently. I'm not sure if they used the houseboat, but back then, that was a test kitchen. It was, <laughs> right. it was docked right by the restaurant, and it was me, uh, a guy named Torsten, and then Lars, who owns uh, that Empirical Spirits. Yeah, so, right. And the guy named Sam Nutter, uh, who... So it was like the four of us, you know... I, you know, they, okay, so you spent a lot of time in the fermentation boat. Like you were, they were, you were just starting to do fermentations there. You know, it was wow. more of a test kitchen. We'd just sit on our lap. Renee would come up with an idea, uh, and then usually the break between lunch and dinner service, he would come out to the boat, talk with us about it, and then we'd start doing the research on it. Uh, and then just start cooking things over and over and over. And, you know, Lars was just starting with all the fermentation projects. Um, you know, they did not have a full-blown fermentation kitchen yet, but he's definitely the one who started planting the seed for it and, you know, moving it forward to what it is now. That's incredible. Um, it was a great experience. Like I said, I was there about four months, and uh, but it was, it was fantastic, you know. It's neat, the second book, technically the third uh, but the second book with the little companion iPhone book, have you seen that? Yeah. So I have yeah. a bunch of the same shots of Renee's in there because, you know, there's a couple places we were standing next to each other. It's like this rainbow. You know, I was outside working the grill. The grill was a giant Weber kettle grill. That's that awesome. was outside, yeah. And he was standing next to me. We were like, God, that rainbow is beautiful. You know, and he took a photo of it, and I took a photo of it on my iPhone. And then, you know, it, it, was, it, was, it was a cool time, man. I met just some great people who are still friends with today. And, you know, it's... Um, it's fantastic, you know. I had a I had a very good time. I haven't been back. I need to go back though. Is that where your love of uh, Weber kettle grills came from? Yeah, <laughs> right. I was told a it's, story by my friend Nicholas. Uh huh. Let me find it because okay, I gotta find the text. So he asked me how the dinner was the mm-hmm. other evening, and I said, and this will be my opportunity to say that's probably probably the best meal I've had in Minnesota. That was oh, thank you. I was absolutely, I was blown away between like you know, I the whimsy of what Eric was doing yeah. and then like how refined everything you were doing was. One of my favorite saying is even a broken clock's right twice a day. <laughs> there you go. Well, yeah. Okay. That's yeah. why you said so. Okay. Hold on. One, uh, randomly, one of the greatest meals I had with Elisa, this is Nicholas Anderson. I went to Grand Cafe. Their power went out. Yeah, he went out and bought a Weber, Weber grill yeah. and grilled beef for yeah. us. Yeah, so <laughs> that is I'll, such a baller, like power yeah. move, right That's there. That's a we, unique experience, right? We like, had it was like really kind of the first weekend we were totally booked out, mm-hmm. and the HVAC went out. Everything just shit the bed at once, you know, because that building was just a giant piece of shit. Man. Yeah, sure. Just a fucking turd. And Part of the charm to a guest, but I'm sure to you it, it is, is a nightmare. It is, but then, you know, like, <laughs> you know, the, the couple who owned the building were just miserable people, you know. Uh, <laughs> I, I Seriously, I, I can't say enough bad things about how horrible they were. Um, 
and I don't normally do that. But yeah. <laughs> it, no, I get it. It was you, you know, had to deal with them on a professional level, and that's yeah, what you know you about them. Kind of right. got honey dicked into like taking that spot over, you know. For sure. Uh, so it was the first time visit, and all of a sudden, just everything just you know, shits about. And we're like, oh fuck! And Jamie's like, we should probably just go get some grills. I'm like, all right, let's do it. Oh so God. we sent someone to get some that's Weber rad. grills, and like everyone who came in said, hey, look, you know, we don't have the regular menu. This is what we can do, and you know, I just like drank beers and grilled steaks outside. And, you know, it was fun. You know, uh, I, you know, then like I said, I, me and Jamie got that place open. Uh, and you know, for me, it was just like time to move on and go to San Francisco. And I mean, she did some amazing stuff out of there, you know, so, uh, I give her, Absolutely. I think she's just an extremely talented chef, you know? Uh, so yeah, we fan, we fanboy over Jamie a lot That's on the true. show. Yeah, she's yeah, yeah. It's true. killer. Yeah. So, uh, you know, very proud of what she did after that, you know, and she took over sea change for me when I left as well, you know? Yeah. So yeah, it was uh, it was a fun little restaurant, but God, that building was just. <laughs> oh. There's so many so many places like that where I just think about the conditions that we had to deal right. with. You know, I remember back when uh, <clears throat> when I uh, uh, bartended at Asia on in in Eat Street Asia Asia. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, Asia. Yeah. used to get like what is it like the tuna wontons? Oh at yeah, the bar or something. Yep. Yeah, I used to buy way too expensive tequila, so girls would think I was cool. <laughs> I'd be like, I just sat my bank account on this yeah. tequila. But. <laughs> but if it if it ever rained, uh, so everything in the basement, the basement was massive, so oh, we had all the dry storage down there. But everything had to be at least three feet up because every time it rained, the whole basement flooded, and oh the landlord refused okay. to do anything about it. And uh, one of the few legal challenges that Tom Fom actually instigated on purpose was trying to sue to get better conditions. Really? And it, it went on for years, and eventually they got city money to fix the building up, mm-hmm. but uh, Asia had already closed. It was like, already too late. What yeah. is that space, Black Sheep? Uh, Black Sheep Pizza and then Eat Street Social. Got it. So Got Black it. Sheep took um, where the front bar mm-hmm. was and then where the sushi bar was. Yep. That's Black Sheep, and then where the, the Caterpillar Lounge and all the yep. event seating, yep. that became Eat Street Social. Got it, got it. You know what's funny it. is I have, I somehow don't put that together. Like, I never think about that when I'm there. Yep. There's, yeah. No, I, yeah, you're right. Isn't that weird? Actually, you, know? you just yeah. don't think about well, the that. Well, at Qua, you know, obviously, you know like, I, Qua, was, I was a huge fan of it before I even went to take it over, and the basement would flood. Yeah. Constantly, we had a joke. It was like the River Qua, you know. <laughs> and like, literally through my office, you could see it had like a cement floor, and you could just see the divot that the flooding had taken out of it, you know. And uh, yeah, it was uh, uh, flooding in basements is miserable. It's Coming into so work awful. in the basement, you're like, oh man, this is how today's Great. starting, huh? <laughs> yeah, nice little surprise. Here's yeah. a, here's a challenge for the day. Yeah, we we got a pile of rubber boots on the steps, guys. So <laughs> I got an idea. What do you think? Should we uh, should we dig in? We've yeah, let's do this. Yeah. We got a, a nice glass of Pernod in front of us. Yes. We're gonna yes. go with the, uh, awesome. the Anisette route. This is Chef Select. We got uh, what all do we have here for you today, Chef? We got uh, Pernod. Uh, then we're gonna go into a little Maletti, uh, and then some uh, Nocino, some Wonka, which I kind of yep. love. I actually just made my first batch of it uh, at home about a year and a half ago. Nice. Uh, which is fun. I've always wanted to make it. And, you know, uh, my wife's a vet tech, Stacey, and she was working at the clinic in town, and I was talking about, oh, I want to use green walnut, and then she texted me. She's like, hey, one of our clients has a walnut farm. 
and she they don't use it. They've been, it's been in the family for years. They're wow. like fourth generation Calistoga family. It just exists. And she, yeah, she's like, you can go there and pick. She said you can go there and pick whatever you want. Rad. You know, uh, so uh, we went and uh, my Craig Wilmer, who's my chef de cuisine, has been with me since Qual. He's just absolutely great guy too. Uh, we went and just raided it, and uh, we each did a big batch of Nocino. And, cool. Uh, so I actually used that at the dinner to soak the prunes in for the vanilla at the last dessert oh. course. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I, I've kind of always loved it. And then uh, I think we'll close with just a little bit of Fernet Branca. Yeah, it sounds beautiful. Which, do you guys like other Fernets? I do. You do? I'm, uh, I don't. Uh, I, I like other Fernets, but they're not Fernet. They're like, well, it's like Heinz ketchup. Fr- you know what I mean? That Exactly. Like, I'm yes. not saying Branca is the best Fernet. But it's the one I you, like, and it has. You know, it's what that. you know as Fernet, right? Yeah, so the other exactly. ones are like a iteration, and that's what I want. You know, mm-hmm. like I right. felt, I felt that way until I had that. We've talked about this on the show before, but yeah. until I had Fernet Gancia, and right? that is it. it like mm. it changed, so now that is the Fernet that I I go for, but it's hard to find. So I'll go with Branca. It's like whenever someone pours me, I feel like it's like they just gave me like Sir Kensington's <gasps> ketchup or something. I, mean, <laughs> I don't fucking yeah. want that is shit. This, like, is it you fancy? Know? Yeah. It better yeah. be. Right. Like leather be yeah. Fernet tastes good, but it's, it tastes different. Like yeah. it's not technically I did, uh, Fernet to me. A Munchies chef's night out. Uh, oh, you did? Oh, yeah, How have yeah, I not yeah. seen that? That's amazing. All right. Well, I love I, I shouldn't even bring shows. it up because it's so embarrassing now, but we drank so much. They actually, you know, they did kind a Munchies yeah. cookbook. Wait, did you do that in Cali or in Nashville at Capward Seat? Okay, and then yeah. you cooked at the end of the night at Capward Seat. Yeah, yeah. When that and, happens, and, yeah. And then you know, a couple years later, they did <laughs> the cookbook, and it was right when they released a cookbook. Right when I was leaving Minneapolis to go to San Francisco, because I ended up flying to New York for the cookbook release party, and it just so happened my section of the book is a big drawing of me in a bathtub with bottles of Fernet. <laughs> yeah. And then not only was that, I get to New York and I find out that that was also the photo they used for the invite for everybody for the party. I'm just like, oh my God. Okay, hang yeah. on. We got our first title. <laughs> bathtub Fernet. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> that's our first candidate for the title. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't, I actually don't drink it much. We, me and yeah. Josh used to go through a bottle and a half, two bottles a night sometimes, you know. We'd each, we, had, we had a freezer on either side of our line, and he'd keep a bottle in there. I'd keep a bottle in there. And, nice. You know, I, I've done Fernet shots with some pretty notable people I've, you know, throughout the years, like coming through the restaurant, because that was kind of our thing if you were in the last seating, you know, after dessert, we started pouring Fernet for everybody. Or nice. Moonshine. We had, a, we had one of our cooks, Dower, <laughs> whose dad would bring us moonshine from uh, Virginia or something. Well, have you ever seen is it Lawless with... About the, the three brothers who are moonshiners. Yeah. 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 So his dad was grew up in that town or something. That's or right by awesome. there. So all his friends, you know, he just knew. And so when his father would come visit him nationally, he'd bring us this moonshine. It's pretty good, too. We'd infuse it with, like, chanterelles or, like, uh, pawpaws or something, you know. Oh, wow. Keep it under there. And, now uh, I want that. I want yeah. chanterelle moonshine. Chanterelle moonshine. Yeah. I've had the privilege of doing shots like, of moonshine with of my Al new Gore. death metal band. I was right. going to say, that's yeah. a sweet band yeah. name. <laughs> we had Al Gore, and he used to come in to the restaurant. And I like, we, I'm like, I maybe, I don't know. I'm sure he's done shots of moonshine with other people, but I'm like, this is cool. Like, I'm doing a shot of moonshine with Al Gore here. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like, pretty awesome. That's so cool. Who is an amazing human being, P.S. He's such a nice dude. Like, he'd come in, he, he would come to Capper quite a bit, and, uh, I was like, that's pretty rad. Right. You know, like well, one day he came in and I was having my 40th birthday party the next day. So I invited him. I was pretty buzzed. It was towards yeah. the end of the night. And he's like, well, I have a book deadline. 
He's like, if I can make it, I'll come, but uh, I'm not sure I can. And then, like, the next week, he obviously, you know, he didn't make it. He's a busy man, you know. Uh, but he sent me, like, a letter, like a happy birthday letter, and then, Aww. like, a signed copy of the book, you know. He's just yeah. super great human being. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. And I, I fortunately, like, when I moved to California, too, uh, guy who invented the internet wrote you a letter yeah, that's yeah. a big deal yeah no it's great but then when he <laughs> i moved to san francisco he you know spends time out there so i uh, mm. reached out and i cooked for him a couple times out there awesome and, uh you know it was it was super fun you know craig wilmer i was telling you my chef de cuisine he's a huge gore al gore fan so i'm like hey you want to come do this dinner with me he's like where is like I'm like oh it's for al gore he's like really i'm like yeah so it's you know he's absolutely great human Hold i up, wish, I wish I gotta, he was president i gotta stop you right there did you spill a drink on him no, I did not. No, you didn't? Okay. Fortunately, <laughs> we were just talking about how I have a... And I really didn't realize it till today that I kind of have a history of spilling drinks on people. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I met... Uh, we were talking about David Cross, and I met David Cross. Well, I love David Cross, you know. And I got a chance to meet him in 2012 at an after party for that Food & Wine Best New Chef stuff. And uh, we were at Parm, and it was really crowded... Uh, and he was at a table with like three other people, this tiny table, you know, I, I'm not a small human being, so I'm trying to like drunk, <laughs> trying to like work my way over to go say, I'm going to go say hi to David Cross, you know, he's going to love me. And I just spilled his drink in his lap, like, and he was super mad, like super mad. I was kind of like, all right, I'll, you know, slither on back to the other side <laughs> well, of the nice room. nice to meet you. <laughs> and then we did, uh, did dinner for Fran Audrey in Cleveland. Yeah. This one's even better. Yeah. I walked over. Uh, I'd met Ferran before, but he obviously doesn't yeah. remember me because everyone meets. I got to eat it. Exactly. Me and Doug Flicker went to El Bui to eat. And uh, we got to, like, you know, you go through there, see the kitchen, shake his hand. It was pretty cool. Uh, but anyway, so first time actually like, meeting him, I just spilled his beer all over him. He was quite nice about it, I have to say, you know. So he took it better than David Cross. Oh, hell yes. Dude. That's so great. Hell yes, you know. Oh, my God. Uh, but yeah, you know, I, and I just realized this morning, like, God, I spilled a lot of drinks on people. <laughs> <laughs> You gotta let me know. Is, does does Al Gore have a favorite type of food? In fact, he's I, vegan I, now. Is he? Yeah. I just I, I I don't think I've ever seen him eat anything. Yeah, he's vegan now. Um, no Gore for Al Gore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Oh, well, I, I give him a lot Could of props too, man, because he's you know he practices what he preaches. Yeah, that's know? legit. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, good for him. I couldn't do that, but. Let's uh, let's grab no, a little, little sips yeah, of this hey, yeah. Cheers. Cheers, guys. Cheers. All right, so question one. Awesome. Oh, we haven't even started. Exactly. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, name something you were seriously psyched about that you prepared for, and it just didn't work out as intended, for better or for worse. Like, it could be a, a, a happy accident that worked out really yeah. well or something that went up in flames. All right, happy accident. Um. Hmm. I don't know, maybe 2014 or 15, I was doing a three-month stint at L2O, which was then, it changed the name to Intro, it was like a guest chef thing that my friend Matt Kirkley hooked me up with, who was the chef at L2O before they closed, and I wanted to do this caviar and bone marrow dish, and I wanted to serve, like, I wanted to make my own Pringles, you know? Hell Yeah. Yeah. And so I was, you know... The most ambitious thing on that dish, yeah, surprisingly, yeah. Yeah, right? Yeah, making your own Pringles. <laughs> and uh, I remember, like, researching on the internet, doing all this stuff. So I go to make the first batch and put them in the fryer, and they souffled. 
Like you guys oh. know what a palm souffle is, you know? Yeah. But it was like a Pringle souffle, <laughs> totally by accident. I'm like, this is fucking awesome. Oh wow! So it ended up being like Pringles palm souffle is like. With so you the, called with it that? Can. I don't know if I put it on the menu, but that's pretty much yeah, right. Because that would be was. confusing too, because people would be like, you Pringles, did it with Pringles? Palm, yeah, no, 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 no. I made so, Pringles and it turned. Yeah, out we this made way. Pringles, which are just really made out of potato starch, you know, like it's no. Yeah. And then like as soon as they hit the fryer, just. Like, poof. Like, oh, this is incredible. You know? <laughs> I don't know if you ever tried to make palm cool. souffles before, but no. if you're good at it, I bet you get a 65 to 70% success rate, you know? <laughs> you throw away wow. a lot of them, you know, because they don't puff right away. They're not going to. And it depends on the age of the potato and, you know, all the thickness. Sure. Of the, every, there's so many variables, you know? So it's like a pancake or the first pizza, but oh, it's still totally Kind random. of, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, you, like even a great chef, I, I think it's a very difficult thing to do, you know, which is why a lot of people buy them. Like, they have these companies, yeah. you sell them frozen, you just throw them in, they puff right away. I've never done that. Uh, you just made Pringles. Yeah, I just made Pringles. But that was kind of a happy accident. I, I was awesome. kind of excited about that one. little trick know? there. Yeah. Just make homemade Pringles. Yeah, so just start with, them. like every souffle, you start with Pringles. <laughs> Pringles, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Totally, totally. Naturally. But it's also one of those things, I think, as a chef, like, my mentality sometimes is like, I'll focus on one thing that, 95% of the people just don't give a shit about, but I'll just obsess about it and obsess about it. Where most people are just like, yeah, push in the side of the plate, you know, like it kind of thing, or that's a fucking chip, you know. But I just, you know, you just focus on it. I think that traits in a lot of people in the food and beverage industry who care about their job, they'll, you know, they'll just they'll focus in on the little, you know, my, a buddy of mine, Matt, would say, we're, we're really the same. In the world of finding, it's, you know, it's no different than the cook who's at Applebee's. You, know? you both wear a chef coat. You both put an apron on. You both put a pan on a heat source. But both these what separates us, though, is like a 4%. You know, that's the details, the fine details. Oh, you sure. know? So, uh, yeah, and I think anyone who cares about what they do and truly loves it, is, you know, the, the, that 4%, those, those fine details you know, are what matter. Absolutely. Charles, what about you? The thing that immediately comes to mind is, and it, it's sort of ironic. When you look at the internet or you even listen to our podcast or what have you, it seems like everything's going well. And I am quite obsessive about making this golden masala that I make making and making curries, like a real, actual stewed curry. Making and toasting all the spices and grinding everything by hand and that being the first step, that alone takes a day. And then you're ready to prepare the actual dish. Well, a couple months ago, I was out of my own curry, which I make in massive batches, but I just didn't have any. And I had some Penzi's like variation on a curry. I forget what it was called. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to throw a dinner together. And that was probably my first mistake. It wasn't the spices that I used. It was <laughs> that I tried to haphazardly or like rapidly create a curry. You can't rush something. You, you absolutely can't. can't. Yeah. So this is more than anything, it's a lesson. Obviously, you know, this is kind of like, um, um, sort of self-mutilation uh, by mentioning this, but I, I make great curries, but I decided, like, let's try to make this quickly. The thing that happens if you don't properly stew a curry, give it the time, let it naturally thicken, you know, give it, you got to give it at least, at least an hour. It needs more than that. But I made this curry and I made it too quickly and I use spices that aren't my own and it ended up being, here's how you know you made a bad curry. If you do it over rice, and it sits below the rice, you fucked up. Oh. Like if it's, you know, if there's like the lake of juice underneath the yeah, rice, yeah, you, yeah, you yeah. fucked up. 
And I made this curry and I was just, I basically spent the whole meal um, roasting myself. <laughs> so my, my, my wife, Marnie had, my wife, Marnie had a terrible meal because this whole time I was just telling her how bad it was. And she kept trying to talk me off the ledge. And I usually do this to her because sometimes she's a little too self-critical. And I'm like, you're, I, I, sometimes I tell her if she makes something and she's being critical of herself, I'm like, you make it taste worse if you tell me. Like, it's like on Top Chef when someone walks up and they're like, it sucks, enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay, well, <laughs> now it's going to suck. And as someone who works in creative and marketing, I know that as well as anybody. But I couldn't help myself from beating myself up over how bad it was. And I just, I could not stop myself from being like, oh my God, it's so bad. It needs more salt. It's not thick enough. Uh, good luck finding it under the rice there. At least there's a shrimp on top. You know, and she was just like, it's just, dude, just stop. Like, you know, give yourself a break. It's all right. You rushed it. But, you know, moral of the story is if you're going to make a curry, give it the, like a stewed curry and, you know, with chicken and shrimp or, or anything of that nature. Give it the time it deserves and it will blow your mind. Don't give it the time it deserves, and you'll wish you picked some up from a place that knows what they're doing yeah. and did spend that time. And also, it's a lesson that if you buy curry from a place that is known for making it, a lot of fucking work went yeah, into that. A lot of they time. didn't just slap that together when you called them for pickup. Mm. They're not, they, didn't start, they didn't start from the beginning just for you, my friend. They've been working on that for a while, and they have their system, and, and it's great for a reason. Where do you store your... your uh, get your spices you have like a place you like Penzi's also Penzi's yeah uh for the for the curry because I make a lot of my own spice blends my mm -hmm. my current obsession that I'm working on right now and I actually finally acquired everything and we mentioned it on the pod last week how I had to acquire things from so many different places and my wife was laughing at me but I'm gonna make a um shichimi togarashi with black lime oh, yeah. awesome. so I got burlap and barrel black lime and I'm using that as the one of the elements so it's the um it's the recipe from, oh my God, the name is slipping me and I have the cookbook sitting on my coffee table right now. Um, place in Hong Kong that is known for, uh, or, uh, Yardbird. Yardbird, so yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I started with the Yardbird's um, template. And yeah. another funny thing about this is you can't Google Yardbird's Shishimi Togarashi. I don't know how many DMCA uh, requests they've had to make to get it wiped from the internet, but you have to have the cookbook. You can't find yeah. it. It yeah. doesn't exist. And you can't order it because they don't ship overseas. Yeah. So I have the cookbook, and I wanted to start there because it's such a well-known Shishimi Togarashi, and the pre-bottled stuff is mostly poorly rated because who knows how long it's been sitting on the yeah. shelf. They use... Uh, they use um, Dried yuzu. Mm -hmm. yuzu Here's another thing to try and source on the internet. Find some dried yuzu. Good fucking luck. <laughs> Call rare tea sellers. I guarantee you Roderick will have it. Really? Okay, yeah. Oh, just his doing... spice, it's seriously. Dope. Check him out. RareTeaSellers.com. Okay, I will. Yeah. Um, so I did find some in very small quantities, mm -hmm. and I believe rare tea sellers had some. Yeah. And it might have even been out of stock, but it was like a very small jar. Yeah, yeah. And it was, it's actually a pretty significant amount that they use even in the small batch. Mm -hmm. But I always make comically Big. large batches yeah. of, of spice mixes. And then I like give them to friends yeah. or, you know, someone's like, I'll throw you 10 bucks, give me a jar. So I decided to make a pivot and to use black lime instead. How was it? Uh, I haven't quite made it yet. I actually went to um, Dongyang, the Korean market yesterday to get um, the last thing I needed, which was um, uh, they use, they used like flaked seaweed, but I just got sheets and I'm going to toast them and then crush it myself. And I wanted to find like good stuff. I wanted I wanted to find Japanese, but it's impossible to find locally and pretty hard to order in large quantities online. So it's the last element I needed, and I was going to make it yesterday, but then it dawned on me that I have to find somewhere to put it. 
yeah. I was like, I'm not bagging, you yeah. know, th- this, I'm going to make like a very large amount of this, but I have everything and I'm ready to rock and I'll, I'll make it this week. Do you have like a cryo machine or a food saver or something? I have a food saver and I just bought a chamber sealer. Cool. So like that's a small great. one that yeah. looks like an Epson printer. No, that's uh, awesome. Anova makes one now. Yeah, yeah. The inside chamber is quite small, but it's better than nothing, right? So mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I I have that. And then I have my food saver for bigger things because that chamber is so small in the home unit. Yeah. So yeah. I have I have both. Yeah. And I'm going to get a bag of that. Absolutely, yeah. And I'm just going to start yakitoring my ass off. Dude, I will tell you, I love yakitori. Yes. I I mean, I really, a lot of my cooking focuses on birds and poultry, and uh, it's something I personally love to cook. But I had this idea, and Nick and Marco were a part of this, Mm. to do a yakitori pop-up. And we did it at uh, Nighthawks when Landon Mm. was there. Yeah. I convinced Landon to move out to California too, so you know, we were roommates for a little while before yeah. uh, before Stacy moved out there. Uh, so I'm like, yeah, this will be great. We're gonna do. I was I was like, I spent this summer obsessing over reactor. I'd watch like because you can get like 16 or 17 different cuts out of one bird, you yeah. know. And I would just yeah. like follow along with these crazy Japanese YouTube videos and butcher chickens, and you know, I I had a a friend of mine's. Uh, husband built me this little, he was a steel worker, built me this cool little yakitori grill, you know. And uh, I'm like, let's do this pop-up, you know. So first off, you don't realize how many fucking things you have to skewer. We're like, oh, we'll only yeah. do like 60 people. That's, That's a so lot of much. fucking skewers. Second off. Was it prefix or were they? Were you allowed? No, we had like a board with like all Yeah, then that's had. even more erratic. <laughs> you know, and and uh, <laughs> although... So, so we Everyone two, wants oysters. Yeah, two weekends. Two weekends of that. The first weekend we did it, it was the worst night of cooking I've ever had in my life. Oh, wow. I almost just walked off the line, got in my car, and went home. I was this close. <laughs> uh, Alan Labine was cooking next to me, and we had, like, two grills like this, and you can't cook that med- for many people. You got to with two little grills. There. And afterwards, we were talking. I'm like, God, that was fucking miserable. I'm like, I almost walked out. He's like, dude, I was thinking the same thing. He's like, I almost just left. You know, it was bad. Like, so you bad. had two small, like, yakitori style grills. Yeah. Just and the so the next week, I'm like, okay, we got to fix it. So we had like yeah. a whole row of them. We borrowed them from all friends, nice. you know, the little Conroe grills. And, and the next weekend went way better. We actually had Trevor from Locust, which wasn't open there, but Trevor came out the next weekend from Nashville and did uh, Kakagori because he's super into He does amazing Kakagori. Wow. So incredible. Listen uh, to that squad that you had. Right? Yeah, yak- I want to yeah. go Holy back in time shit. to that meal. So even though it was how many people had no idea. <laughs> yeah. We had, uh, it was All of fun. Us. Uh, so then the next weekend obviously went better. But, and from that thing, though, I, one of my favorite things, kind of trashy snack thing I've come up with, I used all the leftover trim and made these fried chicken toasts. So it was basically like shokupan, this garlicky chicken mousse spread on top, and then mm. I dip it in panko and like bubu arare, the oh little cr- and then deep fry the whole thing like a shrimp toast. Fuck. I want that and then like so yeah, bad. so and then cover it with like tonkatsu mayonnaise and stuff, and and like some pickle. It was great. So all the trim, I had like six or eight of those left over, and then I started doing those uh, every so often at uh, uh, Eric Sather's butcher shop. Uh, you know, I'd be like, hey, can I come in? And he's like, yeah, for sure, you know. So that, that kind of, those were super fun. Like, I used to love hanging out there and having coffee with those guys and, you know, just such a cool place, you know. Uh, so, yeah, every so often the fried chicken toast will pop up. I haven't made it in a while. I'm kind of feeling like I need to at some point. 
That sounds incredible. That, that helps me to understand maybe why we can't get yakitori around here. It's probably an easier said than done. It looks so simple, but yeah. it's absolutely oh, not. God. It I went to not. Yakitori Torishin. Yeah, uh, I love Torishin. It's in December. Awesome. My God. Yeah, it's it so just, good. So uh, good. I, I was so happy, and they're mm. so kind, and they have such a deft hand with what they yeah. do. I could eat all day there. Like, just order ski. You know what oh, I mean? Like, yep. Yeah, because yeah. you do, you do the great. prefix, and they're like, what else do you want? And I'm like, yeah. oh, there's more, and they're like, just name it. Yeah. So I was yeah. doing soft bone. Uh, I did Pope's noses. Like they do whole oh, yeah. skewers of the Pope's nose. I was like, you do whole skewers. How many? How many chickens does it take? And then I was able to order Jadori uh, chicken tails. Yeah, by you the can Jadori some oysters too, like packs yeah. of oysters. Yeah. Hey, I, I, I got it all. My chest freezer's. You full know what's of like a great like ragu or like a curry? It's just like any kind of bread, like just all chicken oysters in it. Oh my god, it's oh. so incredible. I will order oh, a couple dude. two pound packs from so Jadori. Bad. So Holy I'm shit. starving. That's, <laughs> like, that's like in Chile when I got, uh, I ordered the halibut cheek stew, and it was Whoa. like 50 halibut cheeks. It's like this giant clay at, pot. That's and I was 25 like, fish at least. Yeah. Yeah. Two cheeks We're going to need more wine, guys. Yeah. I'm not going anywhere. Landon has a great story. He, he opened up the original Brasa as a cook, and mm. he has this amazing, which I don't know if I should tell this, but I'm going to, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, where he like ate, He's like, it had to have been like 40 like Pope's noses throughout yes. the course of the day and got sick like on his bike ride home, you know, because <laughs> he's like, you know, cutting birds, just snacking on them the whole time, you know. And, uh, that was a, a great restaurant too, man. Brasso was awesome. When I said Pope's nose at Torishin, they laughed and I was like, do you guys not know that term? And one of the chefs said that um, he's only heard one other person say that. Really? There. And I was like, that can't be regional because I don't think I learned it yeah. from a Minnesotan. I don't remember. Yeah. No, I, th- where I thought I everybody kind of called it as a slang, you know, like, huh? What's that? I don't know the yakitori term. If it's just I tail, it might just be yeah. tail. Yeah, yeah, they're good though. I love that. My the favorite idea part: is somebody biking home and just yeah, vomiting, yeah. snacking on them. Noses. Trying to, he's still <laughs> eating them because they're so good. Yeah, I um, can't stop. Yeah, it's on the edge of vomiting. <laughs> I mean, we're lucky in Berkeley. There's a couple great yakitori places too. And oh, I bet I, it's it's so good, man. It's worth the drive. It's uh, now I want yakitori. Nobody does it here, huh? Not really. Uh, yeah, just uh, Tori. Mm-hmm. Tori does it. And, you know, I think they just do a few different pieces. And per true day. yakitori is all chicken. Yeah, it's, it wouldn't you know be I mean? yakitori. Like, exactly, but that's what drives me bonkers. When you see someone mm-hmm. like yakitori, and there's like beef skewers. And I'm like, it's not yakitori. Right, yeah. Some places you know? will supplement other things, yeah. but if you call it yakitori, that literally means grilled chicken. chicken. It yeah. means that's real a, chicken. Yeah. That's a kebab, bro. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know? Which I love kebabs. Yeah. It's a yeah. whole other conversation. Just put anything on a stick. I'm into it. Right. I mean, I'm Lebanese having a yakitori grill means that I can also do, like, kafta on yeah. there, right? Because mm-hmm. those are the grills we use in Lebanon. It's yeah. the shallow grill, and yep. the, 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 the coals I use look like minchatan. It's almost the same thing. I've developed, uh, I love gyros, and I've got this gyro recipe, but I obviously don't have a spit at home, you know, so. I have a I, spit. You do? I also I'm do. an idiot. I have Lucky every. bastard. <laughs> I was there's elect- dude, there's an electronic spit you can buy really? now. Does it work uh, well? God, what's the name? I haven't even used it. I have so many toys now that I bought oh over God, the winter. Dude. You have to use that and let me know because yes, I would 100% I buy one. Yeah. So what I do now. It's not very expensive either. Really? Yeah. Like it's electronic, you got to buy. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I'll look it up while you're, yeah. while you're uh, telling well, us. You know, I, I, so my technique for it is I'll make the Euro meat, which I got a pretty damn good Euro meat recipe. And then I'll. Stuff it in a cryovac bag and flatten it out so it's about an inch thick and then poach it 
cut it out of the bag and then roast it over open fire. And then you can slice it like super thin yeah. and you get like the mm. beautiful strips. And uh, I made that. Me and Stacy try and spend a lot of time in the back porch. I'm like one of the Gosney pizza domes and then a, another custom yakitori grill. One of my cook's dad made me. And so we have a lot of fun just sitting out there drinking wine and, you know, cooking out there. But I just roasted that in the oven and it's just, oh, so good. The so, Gosney yeah. is another one of the tools I got. I love it. I got just got one of the domes. My buddy oh, Eric. So dope. My buddy Eric connected me with them, and uh, they were very, very cool. Um, and they sent me out one of the domes with, like, the stand and, uh, like, the, all the tools and stuff. And it is the coolest thing, I, I think. It's just it's so awesome to have it. You can do it's propane, beautiful. charcoal, or wood, you know. And uh, there's also new features coming out that they're sending along the way. And it's a, it's a super, super fun toy, you know. I want all of that now. And I, again, not plugging Gazi, but I, it's a great prop. And it's actually really reasonable. It's only 1500 bucks for, And you have this rad. For serious, too. Like, it's a yeah. real serious oh, yeah. piece of machinery. Yeah. Yeah. It's so much heavier than you'd think because we're yeah. used to these new yeah. little uh, pellet, pelletized ones. Mm -hmm. But that thing is hefty. Yeah, it's, it's like massive. 200 pounds. And I, setting it up was easy. And as I was setting up, my God. I realized, like, whoever designed this had to have been put together their fair share of frustrating IKEA furniture because <laughs> they were like, yeah. I'm going to make this yeah, experience this. way better than that. All the tools, like, you that come with of all soft rubber grip. You yeah, ever, like, like an the actual IKEA wrench, like this driver. little piece of metal, and you're hurting your hands trying to yeah. crank it Pressing down. bruises yeah, into exactly. your fingers. Yep. It was genius. Like, they just really thought out everything so well with yeah, that. It's, I'm like, it's super yeah. brilliantly engineered. A qualm. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, yeah, I, I guess I'm going to go a different direction and not okay. with food. The, uh, just in hearing you talk about California, it always pops into the back mm -hmm. of my brain that there was a, there's a branch on my tree that uh, I pruned myself. Uh, I got, we got flown out for a script that we had written, and okay. there was a, uh, a TV show that was possibly going to happen. Did it happen? It did not. Uh, the director who was hot to do it got into an uh, ATV accident. And was in a coma. And uh, while he was in that coma, they canceled the show that he had. <laughs> and, wow. Can you say what it was or no? It was called My Name is Earl. Okay. Oh, I'd love that show, yeah. dude. Yeah. Uh, and he was, he was so angry when he was finally, like, nursed back to health. Uh -huh. He was so mad about it that he uh, originally was from Australia. And he mm -hmm. just packed up all his shit, sold his stuff, and moved. Wow. Never came back to Hollywood. And there's a, there's a chunk of me. I remember sitting and having this conversation with one of the... Uh, the reps that was trying to push this mm -hmm. and he was like if you move out here and you spend six months humping it like you will 100% get this made yeah. and I just looked around at where my life was and was like I don't think this is the right time for that like five years earlier I would have done it in a heartbeat but uh, you know if I had chose to do that I never meet my wife I don't have the life that I have now yeah. so I definitely am very glad with the decision that was made it's funny how these Decisions you make affect more than, you know. Uh, absolutely. Like, yeah. I came across, uh, it was actually funny that, that uh, this podcast came up because I was looking for a document two days ago on my computer and I actually found that script. And I reread it cool. and I'm like, you know what, this is still good. Like, this is still funny. I still laugh at this. I still think this is solid. So it's like a, a nice little pat on the back. Like, mm -hmm. okay, you weren't crazy. Would you ever try and... Celebrate. Yeah, so we've we've talked about it a couple times. Uh, I ran into my my former writing partner. Uh, we ran into each other at an Orville Peck concert. Oh, cool! And it's just like we still keep in touch and we still kick ideas back and forth. And she's working on a new show with uh, a comedian from 
uh, Colorado named Stephen Ajay, mm -hmm. and it's awesome, and I love that. And every now and then, we'll just kind of kick it back and forth. Yeah. The nice part is that in the interim, uh, technology has advanced so much that we can kind of make stuff anywhere. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, a couple of my other buddies and I have just been working on a couple like short films and doing that. That's pretty cool. So it's fun. It's fun to be able to like create stuff. But yeah, that was definitely a that was a, a, a wonder what would have happened if moment mm -hmm. for me. What are we? Yeah. Uh, what are you cracking there? Oh, the Maletti. Oh, the Maletti. Beautiful. Yeah. I would also love a little pour of that. Uh, I love this. Might have to. This is such a thank you for bringing this spread of oh. of liqueurs. This is just such a, a it's something that we all love, but we haven't really done an episode focused on this. More I was, the, you uh, know, like we were thinking Sunday morning brunchy kind of, you know. I'm like, I don't know what. Splash. Letty is. I first got turned on to this after we get done with work at Catbird Seat. We'd go down to Patterson House and have a few drinks and. One of my cooks, a gentleman named Tom Bayless, uh, me and him would head down there. And I don't know how it started. I mean, it was Tom's idea or one of the bar, but Maletti and rye whiskey. Like, and that's what we would drink after. Mm. And it's so good together. We actually started calling it the Tom Anderson. Um, Even like 50-50? Yeah, pretty, yeah. yeah. You know, I In do 50-50, but you, know, you can change it. But I, and actually, YC, a uh, number of years, asked me to do a, the chef bartender thing God, at that's uh, good. Constantine. Mm -hmm. And uh, I came up with a whole list of drinks and, uh, you know, I, uh, it was super fun, but I had that one on there and I really liked it. Delish. Yeah. Well, cheers. Cheers. Cheers, gentlemen. Oh, yeah. I did find the name of that rotisserie and I sent you the link. It's, oh, called, cool. it's called the Conca Grill. K-A-N-K-A. Yeah, I'm going to get one. Because it opens They're up cheap. a whole, you can do El Pastor then. And, yeah, so it's, you know, like, it's, a, it's a horizontal grill, but you could find, maybe you could retrofit it. I don't know. I bought it, and I bought a cage for it for, like, doing fish or veg and um, a hard stand. So I can, I, I have a feeling, I haven't done it yet, I have a feeling I can poke it through the door of the Gosney if I wanted to roast something in there with a dish underneath it. Oh, that's awesome. Charles, I believe this one's you. Yes. Beautiful. Yeah, I'm so gonna... this is a great... Perfect timing. <laughs> excellent lead-in. So All I right. noticed on Instagram that you you have a Gosney, and I was like, dope, I yeah. got one of those too. No, there, I love it. Like, it's... I, we do more than, like, you know, I've roasted, like, whole turbo in there, and, you know, like... Uh, I think it's stinking hot. Chickens, and... Oh, yeah. dude, thousand degrees, man. Yes. Like, yeah. yeah, it's unreal. Stop and I'm obsessive about scrubbing it. Like, I bet, just, yeah. You soft scrub. I found soft scrub is the way to go. I like okay. it. You know, so just yeah. a little tip if you, because it gets black really quick. You know, yeah, pretty much soot. instantly. I yeah. wanted the green one because. I did too. It wasn't on there when I no. went to order. I was like, damn yeah. it. I don't I wanted... know if they're making them right now. You know, like. They are because right at, like a week after I ordered mine, I went on there and they had it. And I was did like, they... damn you. Yeah, I wanted the green Traded one. So in. Well, you know, so they'll send you now. Uh, they're coming out with the steam injector. Yeah. They bread with it. Yes. And then the cover. And then there's like a flu kind of like to hypercharge the flames, like that gets air in there. So they'll send them to you once they become available. I don't know if you knew that or awesome. not. Awesome. I yeah. did see that the steam yeah. attachment's coming soon. That's but such I a great idea. One. And then. Um, but you don't have to buy it. They said like once you really? buy the oven, oh, so it's yeah, like, they will automatically ooh, send it to you. Including the door? Yeah. Get, 
Yes, because I thought it was coming with a door, and I don't have a door. So I don't I either. Like, the I door? thought I was confused. I'm like, of course, of all people, when it gets in mine's the one that doesn't come with the door. I was all mad. And <laughs> yeah, I, I was tinkering with it yesterday, and, like, and oh, I asked, no, no, yeah, it doesn't have. That's not out yet. You know, my, uh, my neighbor who helped me hoist it mm-hmm. yesterday, he was barbecuing, and I was like, "Did you see a door for this thing?" Because I was down tinkering <laughs> with it. The, He's like, literally the same no. thing I did. I was like, "Is <laughs> yeah. there a door around here?" Am I the only one who didn't get yeah, the door? Yeah. So anyways, you know, I noticed that you have a Gosney and obviously you like toys. So what I'm wondering is what is your newest favorite toy? It doesn't even have to be a food thing. I mean, I kind of wish it wasn't a food thing, but I don't really do much uh, (laughs) a toy. I mean, you know, the Gosney is probably the newest one, but (laughs) we've already talked a bunch about that. Uh, Um... Like, give me two minutes to think. Sure, you sure, sure. Want to answer that? Charles, can mine be one that hasn't arrived yet? Sure. All right. Yes. You can just be obsessed about it. Yeah, I'm, I'm super obsessed about it. So uh, I, I have been known to make uh, different uh, tinctures and uh, oils and whatnot involving various green shaded herbs. Allegedly. Uh, allegedly. And, uh, and mushrooms. And uh, I've slowly been upgrading how Ooh, I've Chantrell been doing Moonshine? things. Exactly. Yeah, yeah perfect. That, <laughs> that actually is what I should call it since yeah. I'm using Everclear hey as guys, an extract. Hey guys, I got some Moonshine for you. <laughs> awesome. But Taps it's, uh, his nose. Yeah. It's been, uh, it's been from as rudimentary as could be and then started involving more technology. Uh, like you were saying earlier, Chef, like, fixating on the little things and trying to get the science down has been something that has been really fun for me. And now I have that knowledge is set, but the technology to make it just keeps getting better and better Mm -hmm. and better. Mm -hmm. So for years I've been using, um, it's called a magic butter machine. And it literally, it looks like an old church coffee percolator. And it heats to uh, a couple different temperatures. Magic butter machine sounds like a sex move. It 100% yeah, it does. Really does. <laughs> the magic, uh, make some magic butter. And then it's got a, it has like a, I call it a trolling motor, but it's basically oh. like a bladed agitator. And that goes off every five minutes to keep spinning yeah. everything around while you hold it at that temperature. It's great, but it's really messy. It's a pain in the ass to clean. Like, especially, you know, if you do like a longer cook time on it at eight hours, all of that particulate from mm-hmm. the, the herbs... Uh, we'll just get, I mean, it just gets stuck on there. Yeah, yeah. And scrubbing it just sucks. So uh, there's a new a company that just came out that made, made a new one that everything is taken care of inside the machine, and then it actually filters out all the particulate for mm-hmm. you. So you can toss it, and mm. it's much prettier and much quieter. Because the thing that honestly bothers me the most is the fact that my pets don't know what to do with the sound of my current one every time <laughs> it goes off, and it's every uh-huh. five minutes for four or eight hours. It's, it's basically like if you walked around your house and waited for your dog to fall asleep and then you turned on a vacuum right next to him and then turned it off immediately. Yeah. Like it's, <laughs> it's just mortifying. So I'll, this will be a much quieter run at it and then allow me to uh, allegedly process more beautiful things. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I like that. I think mine, okay, it's not a new implement, but I, I'm a, I've always been a big, I write in pencil. Mm. Part of that's a mental thing for me to kind of, this may sound dumb, but kind of remind myself that we all make mistakes, you know? Mm. It's okay to erase it. And that's actually of, really You beautiful. know, like pen is permanent, you know? Mm. Like, I make mistakes, you know? And, uh, but Blackwing pencils, I've gotten addicted to buying them. Uh, I just love the, you know, you can get the different softnesses and the lead and stuff, but they're just such a nice pencil, and they do these cool limited edition runs, uh, which... 
I have like the Bruce Lee like enter the like the yellow they're like yellow and black yes, stripe. Yes. And then there's uh, they just came out the Shepherd's Ferry limited edition one. I have like one from the it's a New York Public Library that they did their green with like a a brass top for the eraser to I guess like the libraries have green and gold lights you know. Yeah. Uh, so there it's a cool company and I, I mean I I it's wildly expensive for a pencil. But I just love it, and they have, like, all the accessories they have with it. And, you know, my – so my new baby, my sister got me this uh, little wood holder that has the sharpener, and then you can keep six pencils in it. So I keep that on my desk nice. while I'm working, you know. Uh, so I love those. Like, I've, I've kind of gotten obsessed with Blackwing pencils, you know. Have you, have you ever tried the tablet that you can write, like, with – No, I haven't. I've seen them. I'm all, so here's my thing. When I say I'm obsessive about stuff – it has to be a black wing pencil. Got it. When I'm writing in pen, it's these cheap, shitty little, uh, what's the company? Pentel, maybe? or a pen, some, But they're sign pens for writing signs. Sure. And they're super cheap, but I won't. Or if I'm writing on a notebook, uh, it has to be a certain kind of notebook. So I won't get that because it's not that certain not type that of a notebook. That's which fair. is the moleskins I love, which is really stupid. You know, I, I, I realize that. Uh, no, but, but like, I like black wings, I like moleskins. I can't combine the two, yeah. you know? Like, I mean, I do combine the two with the pen writing and the moleskin. But using, a, like, a black wing notebook, I just, I couldn't do it. Like, it's, it's wild. It was really cool because my, my wife is an obsessive note taker. Like, she, she writes mm-hmm. everything down, which is, is awesome. But she was carrying around all these notebooks. And then she just decided to try it. And what I got to give them credit for is they even got the texture on the screen right so it feels like you're writing on paper. And then it's all in your own handwriting and through their app. So you it's can, worth trying. You can kick it There's over. There's like a little bumpiness to yep. it that feels. Yep. Really? Yeah. Yep. And then you can, you can erase anything. And then when you're ready, you can just Bluetooth it to your computer. So, and it'll, it'll upgrade it all to font in Microsoft. And it's just a notebook. It, it, yeah. Run me through it from again. Here. So imagine if you had an iPad yep. with a textured screen. Yep. And it came with... And you a, can get covers a, for, you know, because I have the, the pencil and I yep, procreate yep. for illustrations and stuff. You can get the covers that have the bumpiness. Yep. So you can, it feels like you're using a, a pencil uh, or the scratchiness. Yep. Yeah. And then, uh, and then yeah, it has like a, a pencil-shaped stylus mm. that you write with. And so she can take notes during a meeting and then click upload and it'll bring it all so to the computer. So who made, is Blackwing or is it uh, Moleskine? Or you know what, I, I, will, I will text Moleskine? her and find out. I can't remember the... I think I, there's a few products like that yeah. on the market. Yeah. She's probably got one that she really likes. But I yeah, like Kawiko pens. Those are my pens I like. Really? Yeah. It's a, I believe it's a Japanese brand. And they make, like, really cool short pens. I've seen those. You know, my buddy oh, Robbie they're so nice. Shows. He, like, yeah. gave me one, which is sad unused because I just won't. Which is silly you got for your me shit. because yeah. I realize there's a lot of stuff out there, mm-hmm. but I just get caught on one thing, you know? Like, my sister got me, and she, my sister's the sweetest lady in the world, and she got me this because she also likes the Blackwing pencil. She got me this Blackwing notebook. They did this like notebooks with this coffee company, you know. And I'm like, oh, it's awesome, but I'm never going to use it, you know. So now, like, Stacy uses it. We play card games, and she uses it to keep score of our card games, <laughs> you know. So, um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I got to try out. I want to see that pad now. Yeah, she'll, she'll, as soon as she And it shows it up mm-hmm. in your handwriting on your computer. Yep. So you can either have it be your own handwriting, or if you draw pictures, yeah. you can have all that, or you can have it translate to, like, Microsoft Word. So it'll, it'll translate to Word, too. Mm-hmm. I got it. Okay, that's cool. That's Does what, your handwriting have to be kind of neat? 
Um, I don't, I have, I have the... Because that technology's been around for a long time. I mean, I remember when I was in college, I had a little pad yeah. you could write on and it would change it. But remember you the had to, Newton? The you have to write Newton? very clearly. Yes. Yep. My, Newton. I have the, I have the handwriting of like a, a second grade child. I can't read my own handwriting. Yeah. Which is funny. <laughs> the fuck was I talking about? I, I can't read it. And Craig, my chef de cuisine, he has worked with me so long, he can actually read my own handwriting better than, <laughs> better than you. <laughs> so sometimes I'll be like working on a recipe, right? And so I'm like, Craig, what the fuck did I write here? He's yeah. like, oh, that's 10 grams of this. So I'm like, oh, okay, thanks. <laughs> you know. Charles, what about you? Uh, mine's my Yoder grill. I've obviously bought a bunch of really fun food tech over the winter when I was doing nothing in January. We've been over on the podcast, but I have a 24 by 48 Yoder grill with the elevating chamber. Cool. Um, I grill, not barbecue. I, I yeah. don't. I don't barbecue. I, I like it just enough where I like that I can, you've differentiated between the two because a lot of people think yeah. when they fire up a grill, they're barbecuing. Right. It's know? interesting that people don't always distinguish between yeah. those two very different mm-hmm. forms of cooking. Mm-hmm. But I like to grill. I like it hot. I like controlling it. Yeah. Uh, I my I always say my culinary spirit animal is Francis Mallman because. Mm-hmm. Just controlling heat and understanding it and sure. knowing which way the wind's blowing and how that's affecting what you're doing. That, to me, feels like uh, such a such an uh, advanced form of art. Yeah. You know, like, yep. you got to know, you have to know, understand your environment because that yep. can change so much of what you're doing. Oh, yeah, cooking over, like, live fuel. Real is fire. A totally different animal. Yeah, you're using What's wood. your preferred wood? Do you have one? Uh, actually, so the, the coal I use is, um, oh God, I can't think of the name. Right. Um, like a um, Sumi charcoal or a Binchaton or a... I have all of the, ab- yeah. I have everything, yeah. but my standard day to day, if I'm like, um, doing, uh, what I lovingly call a hatchback chicken, because mm-hmm. that's a story for another time. But if I hatchback a chicken, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I use Fogo. Weirdly dirty. Fogo charcoal. Oh, but, okay. So the, the short version of that story is a guy was going into Whole Foods and ordering, hatchback chickens mm-hmm. and they didn't the butcher didn't have the heart to tell him that he was saying it wrong and so <laughs> i love that so the guy came in the guy came in one day and another butcher was at the counter yeah and the guy said i'll take one of those hatchback chickens my wife really loves him and he was like oh what and a guy had to run up behind him and go oh uh, a hatchback chicken <laughs> sure and he pulled yeah, him aside we got you sir mm-hmm. it's it's spatchcock he just doesn't i didn't have the heart to tell him so Hatch- oh yeah, yeah, yeah the hatchback. some guy goes to whole foods downtown Minneapolis and orders a hatchback. Well, that's a good time. good customer service too, because they don't want to make yeah. the guy feel stupid, you know. Right. Like, yeah, absolutely. We have hatchback chickens. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we'll hatchback your chicken yeah. for you, no and problem. It's but fun yeah, it's to Fogo. Say, the brand's Fogo. It's okay. fun to say spatchcock, but I, mm-hmm. I mean, hatchback chicken just sounds like a cool name for a dish. It does. Chicken's already a hatchback. Exactly. Yeah. It's kind of confusing. <laughs> uh, yeah, Fogo. I've experimented with a lot of different charcoals. The, mm-hmm. Just the the hardwood stuff. And Fogo is my favorite, like, go-to cool. that, that I basically use on a daily basis. There's a great one in California. It's, uh, it's like California oak charcoal, and mm. it burns super hot. I absolutely love it. But I also I like you know, crazy expensive Japanese binchotan. Yeah. It just burns so clean and so hot. Like that, and that's honestly the secret to good yakitori is, like, no coal charcoal will make the type of heat you need to get that specific. So it's not about the yes. smoke. It's about the heat, you know, yep. and uh, super long lasting, yeah. like yeah. Yakatori oh, guy, yeah. which a lot of people follow yeah. on like YouTube. Yeah. He did a test where he used like some, I think he used like Ton or something, which mm-hmm. is more like a Thai Ta- style. Yeah. Yeah. And he did a side by side. Which is great too, I think. For sure. Yeah. It's yeah. great stuff. I mean, I have a, I don't remember the brand fucking stinky devil or whatever. There's a brand that does a bunch of different charcoals. Like Pock Pock, Andy Ricker did a, like a 
charcoal, like Tan charcoal. Too, yeah, didn't so. they start the brand called yeah. Tan? Yeah. I believe yeah. it was him that, that began that brand. Which I think he shut all his restaurants. I was ashamed because I thought they were yeah. fantastic. Yeah, Pac Pac fucking ruled. Oh, it's great. Uh, so I, I have some of, God, I can't think of the name, but I have some just like Binchatan that's made cool. locally. And then I also get like the crazy expensive stuff. The thing people don't understand too is that because it burns so long, you yeah. can reuse it. And yep. if you're going to get the really expensive stuff, learn how to reuse it. Yeah. Because if I you're agree. spending $300 People on don't a realize box, you can do that too. Yeah. 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 Like how to douse it yeah. and then to redry it and then to use it again because that stuff burns forever. Mm-hmm. You don't just leave it in the box or throw it out or throw it in your yard or start a bonfire with it when you buy a fucking $300 box. It's literally, they are like, it's I just Kishu. got a case, it was like 340 bucks, you know, it's just yeah. like. Yeah, is it some Kishu Benchutan or? I don't remember exactly yeah. what it is. It's the white so box I, with the green on it, perhaps, because that's it, one of the. This one's a cardboard box. Yep. With, uh, I don't know what the lettering is, but. It, got like little green trees on it. I don't know, so that stuff's though. crazy like, expensive. Just, I, I just, it, like cooking over it is just an absolute pleasure, you know. Um, but I, I know that's why like, Yakitori girls are like, I love them. Like, they're just, it's so much fun. You know, we, we like I said, w- one of the cooks out of the Four Seasons, his dad was kind of a tinkerer and build stuff. And um, he built me this giant, it's like this long and about that wide. It's lined with fire bricks. And then you can move mm. the bricks in if you want to fit the skewers. Oh, cool. And then move them out if you want to, like, use the whole surface of it. And, so, you know, me and uh, Stacy cook on that a ton. You know, it's kind of a fun thing to do. Oh, that sounds awesome. Yeah, it's great. It's really good. Doing oh. ducks, too, like duck breast over oh, skewer man. duck yes. breast, which is a hard thing because they render the fat out so fast. Yeah. You're constantly moving. But, man, a duck breast, like, cooked over charcoal outside, it's, oh, it's so good. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, cheers. 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 This Maletti's delightful. I'm glad you recommended that. Yeah, I've like, had it in a long time. Someone described it as like a, it tastes like if your grandfather had an old dusty leather chest or something up in the attic, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. It's that, that beautiful sort of marriage of, of sweet, like fruity, sweet, and bitter. Mm-hmm. I think this is you again, Charles. It is. Okay, so your lobster ice cream. Yes. Blew me away. That was so oh, fucking like good. I, that was an absolute delight. I was really happy it worked out. I was joking with the couple next to me that we could buy pints at the end. <laughs> like, I wish. I, you know, I, one of my dreams would <laughs> to do a scoop shop. Like, I love, I don't know if it's the Scandinavian in me that uh, the older I get, the more I love ice cream. When I was younger, I didn't have a huge sweet tooth. And now it's like, I want ice cream every day, uh, which yeah. is not good. Um, <laughs> no kidding. But, uh, like, I got obsessed with this, like, not even a great brand, but it was this Spumoni ice cream. And every day, I like, come home to the store and, with Spumoni ice cream. <laughs> Stacy, God bless her, she's so patient with me. And she's just like, okay, we can have it again, you know. <laughs> or she'd go to the store and she's like, all right, I got, Spumoni, it huh? I got it for you, you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it was just, it was so good. But I just, I think ice cream is one of the, greatest vehicles for flavor ever you know you could do so much with it and it's cool um, to see people doing interesting yeah. things with it obviously yeah. that is doing a lobster ice cream is avant-garde as yeah. fuck but even just seeing mm-hmm. new and interesting applications at places like milk jam mm-hmm. it's just very very exciting yeah. to see i did that so that came i did that the first time i see these duck press dinners at the grand and i did that lobster ice cream as a first course for one of the duck press dinners oh, really 
Yeah, and I had literally hadn't made it since then, so I'm like, so oh, jealous. I hope I know how to make this again. Dude, you nailed it. That was good. Thank you. Absolutely fantastic. So the question to tiered, how much iterating does it take to nail something like that? And have you been editing or imagining up any other wild or subversive ideas that you're like, you feel aren't ready for public yeah, consumption yet? I, I think, so with that particular ice cream, I mean, I'll be honest to you, that was literally the second time I've ever made it in my life, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no recipe for it. I mean, there, oh, wow. there will be, uh, but um, it worked out, you know, thank goodness. The texture's right on. Yeah. Well, know. I swear, so nitrogen is, you know, everyone loves using nitrogen as a show, but to me, I think nitrogen makes the best well, ice cream. made the most of that the other night. Oh, yeah. But <laughs> it makes the best ice cream because you're going to get, the faster you can freeze it, the better the textures are going to yeah, be. Yeah, the less you ice slowly crystals. Slowly freeze it. Yeah. yeah. So mm. nitrogen freezes so quickly, you just get this silky, like, uh, almost soft serve kind of texture to right, it. Yeah. You know, which, which I think is great. And Paco Jet, I, I honestly think Paco Jets make crap ice cream, personally. Um, they're good sorbets, and they have, it's a great tool with a lot of other uses. Yeah. Um, but, man, nitrogen in a KitchenAid, I just think it makes the best. You know, obviously, large-scale production, that's difficult, but... Um, but other dish, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm constantly working on stuff and coming back to things and retooling them. Um, I, in my life, I feel like there's very few recipes that I've created or dishes I created that I'm a hundred percent happy with, you know, like you okay. can always, and that, that's kind of the beauty of this job too. You can always take a different approach to things, you know, and, and relook at things and, you know, try and retool them. Like I had this foie gras dish that I've been doing since, I don't know, I don't know, maybe eight, nine years. Uh, and it's kind of neat to see the different iterations of it. It's a tart uh, with hazelnut and salted strawberries. And, Ooh, you know, the first yes. version was very much like a traditional tart glazed with hazelnut milk and then hazelnut pudding and this like cryo concentrated strawberry sauce and yeah and and then now watching it over the years evolve now it's like this little dome of foie gras filled with salted strawberry sauce and then these crispy hazelnut chips like decorating the outside you know and then one single dot of hazelnut it's like it's Uh, the evolution it's just changed completely same flavors you know but it's just changed completely from what it originally was you know so that, that's oh. a part of the job I love, you know, being able to do that and manipulate that. I, I think as a chef, too, our job is to manipulate things, you know, like uh, that's part of it. You know, I mean, there's a lot of people like, oh, just let the ingredients speak. Absolutely, you have to use the best ingredients, but it is your job to do something with them, too, you know. For sure. I'm working on candy. <clears throat> I, yeah. Uh, yeah, I... Uh, I've been. Is this alleged candy or is it real? This candy? is alleged candy. It's alleged. <laughs> uh, I I got it into my head. I I also don't have much of a sweet tooth. I yeah. do love ice cream a lot, but not even a lot. I, I'd say a lot, and then I'll have like maybe a pint every couple months. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's just mm-hmm. not it's not a big thing. And candy has kind of been the same way for me, but I really do love like a good a good rich dark chocolate yeah. i think it has sort of like what we're sipping on right now yeah. it has that beautiful blend of bitter and and sweet yep. and yeah, real so, like real chocolate yeah and so um i i was i was given uh, a large amount of mushrooms and uh i started working on making um like a like a truffle or like a bonbon mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. i have the texture on the inside nailed 
Like, it is exactly what I want. Okay. It's that perfect, like, just indulgent creaminess. But I can't, I can't get the shine right on the chocolate shell on the outside. Mm. They still look muted. And I've been, I've been going down a rabbit hole for the last week. What uh, mold are you using? It's a, like a, well, it's a, it's literally hand. Like, I'll hand roll. Oh, you're, you're rolling them. Not, yep. They're not then, like tempered chocolates. Correct. And, it, then, and then I'm doing a separate chocolate over the top. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then just, just pouring it over. While Racking I sit on it? Like, hey, on a rack. Yeah. Uh, and it just, it, I haven't quite gotten it to turn out right, but there's a couple tips that I've, I've watched on a couple of Chocolatiers YouTube videos, mm-hmm. which again. You learn anything on YouTube. That's what I'm saying. Like, I, yeah. it is such a fortunate time yeah. for to be yeah. of like our age where we grew up having to find whatever answer we could for yeah. things. And we knew, how, so we know how to look, we know how to dig around and we know how to be resourceful. But now it's like the only limits are my imagination. Mm-hmm. Like you can find Absolutely. anything and right. then you can find an alternate opinion on that anything anywhere. So yeah, I've just been, I've been nerding out and I'm, I'm getting close. Cause if I'm going to put in all the work that it takes to do that, they're messy as shit. It's expensive. And again, if we have a, a, a more valuable ingredient in there, you don't really want to fuck them up. So I've been doing yeah. test runs. And they're still good anyway. You could still just eat a great piece of chocolate. It's an aesthetic thing, right? Yeah, you want but it to look a certain way. I want, it, I want it to be as pretty as can be. Here's and my thing with drugs and food. I'm all for it, but if you make it so delicious, you're going to want to keep eating it. Because, <laughs> you know, I'm a fat kid, and it's like, I just, if this is good, I, want, I don't want one, I want ten. Which creates a problem. You are not um, wrong. Yeah. yeah if, so, if your dad accidentally gets into them, oh, yeah. look how pretty these are. I, uh, All right, guys, call an ambulance. I had an issue with <laughs> with that where I'd make a batch of cookies, mm-hmm. but then you like they go stale in a couple of days, so you like have to eat all yeah. the cookies because yeah. you don't want to throw them away, mm. and then you're yeah. kind of stuck in that catch twenty two. So what I started doing was uh, I ball the dough and then I I freeze it. I like I put it all on a tray. Oh yeah, that's a good idea. Freeze yeah. it and then throw it in there. So then if I want to make a cookie, I can make a single cookie, or if I just want to eat cookie dough, yeah, cookie dough, great. Ain't mad about that. Dude, cookie dough ice cream. I, I have done that, yeah. and it is wonderful. Right. <laughs> that was like Diane giving us a big bag of pastries when we left Bellacore a couple weekends ago, and I was like, who's going to eat all that? Yeah, yeah right? Because like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't love sweets. With coffee, I'll, yeah. I like yeah, sweets. No, or I think, yeah. At the end of a meal, if it's really well made, I enjoy yeah. it. But she just like, here, guys. Yep. And I was like... Okay, Marnie, you got some work to do here. Cause well, that's the thing. And, like, <laughs> and you don't want to do anything because like Diane's pastries are so incredible. Like Each Ridiculous. thing is a magical little creation. So you want to eat them. You want to consume them. The Queen of Mon sticks that she makes. Ugh. like that. Dip that into an espresso and yep. tell me oh, yeah. you don't like sweets. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? That's like for me, like pastry, like the cannelle is something I've obsessed about for a while. Yeah. And make them obsessively and... I, I think Queen Amon's going to be the next one to tackle. Okay. Wow. Um, and I only want to do one or two. Like, I don't want to be a pastry chef. I mean, I love it. It's fun. But um, my energy is best focused elsewhere, I think. But the cannelli, it's, like, it's a classic thing. And I think it's, you know, like the duck press stuff. It's very classic. And I, I feel like probably, like, you, people will lose these over time if people don't continue to do yeah. it. You know, so it's fun. I like obsessing about that kind of stuff. Charles, what about you? You got a, a recipe that you're going to be trying out on, I don't know, your co-host on the podcast? Now with the Gosney, obviously, I'm going to start fucking around with pizza dough more. I haven't made pizza dough in a long time. It's I, hard, man. I wasn't very good <laughs> at it. and So the funny thing about being able to find whatever information you want online, the problem is that sometimes opinions are diametrically opposing regarding, like, yeah. I mean, the way I'm going to start out is just 
recipe from a guy, I, I forget his name, he's an Italian pizza chef. He's been using a Gosney too, and he makes a poolish. Mm-hmm. It looks fantastic, so I'm going to start there and then see where, where I end up with it. So that's what I'm going to start working on. I haven't been working on it. I actually think a fun way to approach this, and this occurred to me after kind of with the question, I have a notepad because I also obsessively take notes, but I do it electronically. Mm-hmm. I have a notepad where when I have really stupid food ideas, I mark them down and then I want to experiment with them. And so I, I want to dig in deeper. I'm going to do rapid fire some of my dumb food ideas. You, can, you guys can tell me if they're stupid or if they sound cool. I just jotted down a bunch of them so that I can recant them on, on the pod here. So chicken fried pickles. So using pickles yep. fried and pulverized chicken skin. Yep. Hot dog bun French toast with breakfast sausage. I've done so, that. Delicious. You have? Okay. Yep. Uh, Oaxaca grilled cheese. So using Oaxaca cheese and then making a tomatillo soup. Ooh. Uh, baby corn esquites. <laughs> so using little baby corns. Uh, a bloody martini, so clarified tomato dirty mix and making a martini that way. A Cubano burrito. It's been done, I'm sure. Egg salad sandwich with a toad in the hole runny egg as would, well. Would the, hold on. Would the Cuban burrito still <laughs> yeah. just be a flour tortilla? I don't know yet. Okay. But probably, yes, okay. most likely it would be right. flour right. so that it is leaning more toward the genuine article, even though it's an abomination. Would you consider... I don't know if this still counts as a burrito then, but would you consider hollowing out the inside of like a French loaf and putting all the ingredients oh. in there so it looks That's burrito? How about this? How about I roll it out? Okay. <laughs> roll out some, some yeah. bread. Yeah. Make it thin. Why not? Okay. I make an absolute fucking mess, but I could try. Yeah. Uh, what else do I have in here? Oh, uh, Oh, yeah, the other option for the toad in the hole is um, or make an egg salad sandwich that is scotched and then um, the whole thing's wrapped in sausage. Got a foie PB&J that's been done a million times over. Mm-hmm. Uh, matzo ball meatball sub, so for vegans, yeah. matzo, matzo ball sub. Be messy, uh, but it could work. And then... Yeah. Uh, doesn't, that, doesn't, that, doesn't that red flag your starch on starch idea? Don't you hate that? It wouldn't necessarily be for me. I have friends who are vegans. Got it. But it'd be fun to try. So do the tomato sauce and everything yeah. and, and do it that way. Uh, a beef tongue pastrami sandwich. I'm sure that's been done. I've done beef tongue pastrami. Fuck, it's great. Yeah. I bet that would be incredible. Yeah, veal heart pastrami too. Ooh. Super good. Oh, yes. Ooh. Uh, pimento crab grilled cheese. Yep. Foie stuffed French toast. Also definitely been done. Birria egg rolls with tortilla shells. Nice. Those are a lot of my that. stupid ideas that at some point I'm going to have to experiment with. Yeah. I like most of those. I would eat all of those. Yeah. The birria egg rolls would be great. Yeah, have your Dip alleged, your alleged candy and yep. then some birria egg rolls. Hey. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. <laughs> you know I'm in. Use the, you know, the, as a dipping sauce, use the... Yeah, no, that's killer. The <laughs> consomme. Well, no, yeah, no. Now the mind's just racing. There's a lot of ways we could go that's with fun. that. I always send these ideas to Tyler, too. Like, when I have a dumb idea, I send it to Tyler, and he gets a kick out of it. Like, all right. <laughs> all right, crazy person. weirdo. All right, well, shit, cheers. Let's, uh, oh, yeah, let's pour, let's pour a little another something up here. Uh, uh, I'm still drinking. I poured my, I yeah. I will, uh, do you mind just passing me the Micheletti? Yeah. I'm going to do a little scooch more. Hmm. We have two, two of the three of us. Our nursing hangovers today, and yeah, uh, mine's really starting to kick in right now. I'm oh, mine went the other way. Mine was like, "Oh, okay, we're good now." Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't drink yesterday because we had so much fun at Mr. Paul's. I was just tired. Like yesterday, I was just dragging ass. I was, I think I had like four nights of doing super fun stuff, and of all days, I picked the nicest June Saturday 
to just say, <laughs> you know what, I'm going to yeah. relax today. Yeah. Especially knowing we were going to do an early pod yeah. today. For those of you listening, oh, I we wish I could have done that. Decided to record this on a Sunday at noon, so we're enjoying some yeah. some beverages. I, I kept it style. pretty low key the first night. Yep. And then I'm like, all right, I'll drink the next night. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of paying for it. Now. Made up for it last night. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. All right. Well, let's go to the next question. Uh, so we've we've talked about a number of the places that you've obviously worked from Denmark to Nashville to here to California. So uh, both of us have traveled extensively, and I've worked in a number of different mm-hmm. different states as well. And one of the things that always settles me home, settles me wherever I am, is like there's a couple things that I always like to do that make me feel like it's home. Yep. So for you, as you travel around, is, is there something, is there, whether it's an activity or a thing you cook or a thing that you do that makes a place feel like home for you? That's a good question. Um, like makes it feel like, you know, just where 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 it feels like okay, this is a this is a home place for me. Yeah, like where you honestly, can feel like one of my favorite things to do is like, and I hope this is kind of, but like cooking for my wife, it's like one of the most satisfying things. Um, we have this thing where we watch Formula One. Like she got me obsessed with Formula One. And I've never been a racing fan, and I don't understand why. Why well, I understand why I love it. It's just it's like absolutely fascinating to me. These building these new cars every year, and just you know all this stuff, but uh so we'll, you know, like Azerbaijan was 4 a.m. We had to get up to watch it, you know. And, mm. uh, but most of the time it's like 6 or 7 a.m. So, you know, we'll, we'll wake up, open a bottle of champagne. I'll start, like, cooking brunch and walk there. And, you know, like, I guess anywhere, as long as she's there and I cook, her, cook for her, it always feels like home, you know. That's legit. That's, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Charles, what about you? For me, it would, it would be people. Uh, everywhere I go, when I connect with people, I feel instantly at home. And I know, Eric, for you, you've lived so many places. I don't yeah. know what specific thing is even home for you anymore. I know, yeah. Like, right? I honestly, like, I'm not moving anywhere for a while. Just no, like, it's, it's, it sounds like oh, you are where you need to I be. I love where I you need to be. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely I feel love it there. like so grateful where I live. It's just, it's, it's awesome waking up. So you up. found home. Yeah, I think you know, so. In a sense. You know? Yeah. Yeah, when I'm traveling, if if I'm traveling, so when I was, last summer I went on a little jaunt to visit some friends in Chicago, and I go to Chicago two, three times a year, mm-hmm. uh, and I had just got my Jeep that was on the parking lot, cool. if you saw that Jeep, that's mine, I had just had it, and wanted to just do a rip out on a trip with mm-hmm. it, and I spent an evening in Madison, that evening the town was just, it was a Thursday night, the town was really empty, and I didn't really get to speak to anybody, mm-hmm. And I felt really lonely. Sure. And I'm good at traveling alone, but it kind of occurred to me that when I'm traveling alone, if there's no out, like human element where I'm having a conversation with people around me or meet somebody yep. or meet a friend or Marnie comes with me or a friend comes with me, it doesn't feel terribly comforting. Mm-hmm. I had a great evening and I had a couple, you know, like had a nice conversation with the bartender at Pig in a Fur Coat, uh, talked to a couple people when I smoked a cigar at Maduro. But mostly it was just an empty town, and I felt like, I felt like the overworked um, businessman, traveling businessman that just uh, would rather be somewhere else, like home with his family or on an actual vacation somewhere. I'm familiar with that feeling. 
Yeah, yeah. right? It's a real dynamic. Yeah. I think a lot of people yeah. are affected by that. Oh, yeah. So when I'm in a town like when I was in New York and mm. star grazing for my 40th birthday, which is my gift to myself, I ran into and met so many people. Yep. Uh, a friend joined me at the last leg of my adventures. But other than that, it was just me by myself floating around town dining at these beautiful restaurants and having cocktails at really great cocktail bars. Mm-hmm. And man, everyone says, you know, and this is like a, a total digression, but everyone says that New York, New Yorkers are unfriendly. That's the furthest from the truth, man. It might be a little bit something to do with how you communicate with people. Every city that anybody says that about, they're wrong. Like people say the same thing about the French and then those, oh, some yeah. French are cool, but Parisians are awful. All of those cities, I've had the most I've wonderful, had the Paris warm, is my favorite city in the world. I, like, it's incredible. Totally. Totally, yeah, sure totally, totally. varying dynamics. And also, yeah. again, it probably has something to do with one's own personality. Mm-hmm. If you're not perhaps accustomed to a fast-moving mm-hmm. city like New York or you're not uh, well-prepared to make new friends or to connect with people in a city like that because you're from a small town, then I could see it feeling like this isn't the yeah. place for you and that the people don't care for you yeah. because, like, you're that's insular, man. You're, mm-hmm. you're making that judgment on your own. They're not... They're not even thinking about you. You haven't even started a conversation with them. But I was having such a great time, like, sidling up at Death & Co. next to just some random guy who I had such a great time with over two cocktails that I wanted to exchange phone numbers because we just, like, had the best time. It seemed like we arrived there together, but we were both alone, sitting in this dimly lit bar, enjoying cocktails together, trying different things, asking each other what we're going to order next. That's what makes me feel a sense of... um, you know, it's not home in the sense that I'm from Minnesota. It's home in the sense that it makes me feel like uh, I am not uh, like a foreigner in a new land yeah. that yeah. has no bearings. It's I'm comfortable being in this environment and there's nowhere else I'd rather be. It's always that human element. For sure. I, I, I'm kind of a, a, an amalgamation of both of you. Like, I kind of smush it up because 100%, like... If my wife is there, if my dog is there, and if I cook a meal and I'm playing music, that's that's home. It doesn't matter where that is on earth. As long as those things are happening, like, that is home. But for me, it's – and I've, I've, I didn't even realize I was doing it consciously. But everywhere I've traveled, I have found what I would consider, quote-unquote, my bar. It's I have to find a spot right. where I feel like what, – What's the criteria it has to be somewhere that I could walk in casual or dressed up and still feel like I love that feeling. Like, I think mm. that's a very important thing, which going back to Capertsy, we kind of our goal is like, we want you to come in with a T-shirt and jeans or feel just as comfortable getting dressed up with a suit yep. and going out, you know? Yep. That's 100% it. Mm-hmm. They have to have uh, somewhat of a decent selection of beers and spirits. Uh, and then, like, either friendly conversation from the bartender or a cocktail that would make me not notice that I wasn't getting great conversation with the bartender. Mm-hmm. Once I have that set, and I, it's funny, like, it got pointed out to me by a friend of mine, and I 100% have one of those bars in every city. Like, when my friends go to Paris, there is a, there's a bar called Marlus et Lapin. That's uh, right off of Pigalle, like kind of behind where Moulin Rouge is. Yep, yep. It's, it, there's nothing. It's not the best bar ever. They're not going to make you a cocktail that's going to blow your mind. But everyone there is kind, and they have typewriters all over the place. Oh, cool. And you can mm-hmm. put in paper. You can type whatever you want. Oh, shit. And if the bartenders think it's cool, they'll put it up. And they have, clo- oh. they have clotheslines that go all wow. over. So you can walk around and just read what people have written. Mm-hmm. 
as they've traveled through. Oh, that's fucking dope. Every one of my friends that goes there, I, I, I always tell them, just go have a cocktail there, have a beer there, relax for a little bit, and maybe write something. And all of my friends that I've told to do that, if they actually go, they're like, oh, that's my new favorite bar. That's awesome. But I'll like, steal that idea for a client with a singular typewriter. Yeah, yes. Yeah. You know, just you can go type something there. We got a wall. That's fucking incredible. Well, I and love for, that. Like, again, being our age, like a typewriter, the sound of a typewriter is very soothing for me because I remember my mom like staying up and working on stuff late. And when you're sitting at a bar and like there's just like Did you the, use the typewriter when you were a kid? Yeah, absolutely. We had like a big cast iron, yep. probably the Underwoods 150 or, pound. Know, the, it was like an army green yep. and kind of rusty typewriter on our porch. We only, in my house, we on the porch and right. We only had typing class. There was no computer class. I mean, I'm old, so. But yeah, there was that. You had to take typing. Yeah. Like literally these typewriters, you know, like no computers, nothing, mm-hmm. you know. No delete button, no control nothing, Z. Yeah. It's yeah. the sound of that with Light like out, mixed with the din of just bar conversation. Yeah, that's it pretty was, cool. It was the most soothing, and they were playing like 1940s jazz. Like the whole thing, I I was hoping I nobody to to would there. talk to me because I just wanted to sit and take that in, drink yeah. champagne, and hammer yeah. on some keys. Yep, it's amazing. So that that's it for me. Is is like if my wife is there and I can cook for her, and especially if my dog is there right next to me begging for something. Uh, I, I, that will always be home, but if I'm, if I'm by myself, it's 100%, it's the first time that I find my bar. And then that will always be a place that I will go back to every time mm-hmm. I visit. And it could be a restaurant too, but yeah, that's, that's the jam. Dig it. Well, awesome. cheers. Yeah, cheers. It is fun that sometimes, it, it depends on the person, but finding a bar that's comfortable oftentimes, and for me and I know it's probably true of you, Quam, and it may be true of you as well, Eric. It it isn't always a nice bar. No, it just feels good. Yep. Yeah. And it can be a scummy bar that feels good. You know, one that you can walk into at 11 a.m. while you're on vacation, and your wife's still in bed, and you just want to like have a high life and just let the breeze roll in. That's sometimes it's just oh, a yeah. total shithole, hole in the wall. For me, more often than not, it's a total shithole. Yeah, yeah, that's right. a. I, I, if I find, and I mentioned this on a pod episode as well, you know, when we were in San Diego the last time is the first time I found like a hole in the wall mm-hmm. that I really loved in this part of San Diego we were in with a friend of ours. And even though we were going bar to bar that day, mm-hmm. all the bars we went to, I was like, this is cool. Where are we going next? But when we found this shithole bar with like dirty carpets and pinball machines and you wanted to stay and lager, I was like, I could spend the rest of the day yeah. just sitting yeah. here totally. with you guys. But that's it. Like it's whatever it is about that vibe. And like some of the places that I'm thinking of right now are really nice bars. But some of them are, are absolute shitholes. The hard hat lounge in Vegas, that place. I don't even know if they let people smoke in there, but it smells like everybody's smoking in there. And it's got the inlaid <laughs> poker. It in, yeah. Know, like that much smoke. Is they're there. piping yeah. in. They got the inlaid <laughs> poker machines at every single seat at the bar. Sure. And, you know, the Coors Light is 28 degrees. And they have a really badass Detroit-style pizza. But I love going there because every bartender that I've met that works there talks a gang of shit and has a good time. Do you like Detroit-style pizza? I do. I don't seek it out. But I, I, I love the entire family of pizzas. And uh, yeah. that, one, that one there in that setting, yeah, I really I like. shied away. I'm a, growing up in Chicago, I'm a thin crust tavern yeah. pizza lover. Mm. Here, 
it would be um, Delano's. Like, oh, yeah. I love Delano's pizza. Uh, I never got down with Detroit, so I, it's just like too much dough for me. And mm-hmm. but I, I buddy yeah, of mine, bread. It's adorned bread. Yeah, a buddy of mine, uh, Joel Bird is his name. He, have you guys had Las Yaras wine? Are you familiar I'm with not. Las Yaras? You should check it. He's one of my favorite winemakers ever. But he's also a pizza nerd. He has a Gosney too. Oh, so we went over to his house for pizza. Me and Stacy went over there, and they were having some friends over. He made me a he made a Detroit style pizza, and it was fucking fantastic. Like it changed my view on you know it was light and crispy. It was so good. What like, I like about Hard Hat Lounge is um, they where is really, it? Art District? Uh, no, no, no. It's off the strip. It's, oh, so it's, it's okay. Residential, uh, <clears throat> like back, where all the Art Deco hotels are. Like off the strip from the '60s, like that's it's hidden in there. Um, cool, but it's they 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 get that pillowy dough, which mm-hmm. I do dig, and they get a really solid char crunch on the outside. Yeah, but the sauce the frico. Is, yeah, yeah, frico, the frico yeah. all the way around. But the sauce has big, huge chunks of tomatoes in it, mm-hmm. and the sausage is, I mean, legitimately probably like three inches in diameter. So it's I'm like hungry. substantial enough for like the amount of dough that you get. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. like a borderline meatball. Yeah, I, 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 uh, clopped on there. I, uh, I conceptualized and launched the first Detroit-style pizza place here that isn't Jets, and that doesn't count, called Iron Exchange. Mm-hmm. Um, and they ended up launching about almost exactly the same time as, as Rectangle did. And then suddenly that concept just blew up here. Mm-hmm. And so I like it. I ate so much of it when we were conceptualizing it. I like it, but it's not what I think of on a day-to-day basis. Me too, yeah. Thin crust for me, like, all the way. Right. Which I did, uh, when I opened the Four Seasons, I did a Tavern South Thin Crust Pizza. It's, uh, the crust is extremely difficult to nail. It's not hard to make, but there's a couple things you need to do with it that I'm not going to share that really make it what it is, you know? Um, so that was uh, kind of fun to do. Because I kept making these thin crust pizzas and making them, and like, yeah, they're okay, but it just wasn't what I remember from home, you know, like Pat's Pizza, and we used to get this place, Angelo's, and I called uh, a buddy of mine who has one of my favorite pizza places in the country called Coal Fire in Chicago. Uh, mm. And I'm like, dude, I can't get this thin crust where he's like, hey, I want you to talk to a buddy of mine. Uh, you know, he has a place called Pauly G's in Chicago. I fucking uh, love Pauly so, G's. Just yeah. brought it up on yep. the last episode. So, so he was very gracious. That's my favorite Detroit style, by the way. Is it? Yeah. yeah. He, so we ended up talking for quite often. He kind of gave me these tips on how to, what you need to do to make it an actual thing. I'll just say, it's like, so it's, they, he calls it cold curing. So basically you make this, Tavern style is always, it's never hand-stretched. It's rolled out, and you punch out the shape. Or but then he's like, you just take it, layer it between parchment, and put it in the walk-in for three days. Don't cover it, you know, and that's like Pat's, which is one of my favorite. That's what they do, you know. And then it looks like it's kind of fucked up when you bring it out, but then you make it, and you're like, holy fuck, dude. That's like, that's what I was missing. That's genius. Wow. Yeah. Probably gets yeah. a little bit of the moisture, moisture out, from, out of yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. See, now I want to try that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, is this a back-to-back me? That is a back-to-back you. All right. Well, let's do a little cheers. Oh, do a little cheers. Cheers. Are we clinking here? All right. Man. No chino. God, oh, that's lovely. That's so good. Oh, that's so good. Beautiful. All right. Uh, taking it back to the kitchen. 
Uh, chef, is there, and this could be at work or just at home, is there an item or genre or dish that you love that you would like to master but just have not cracked the code on, that you haven't, you haven't gotten that to where you want it to be? Yeah. I mean, I'm always doing roast chicken. You know, I make a pretty fucking damn good roast chicken. But, like, I have this idea in my mind of what it, I think it should be. Mm. And I'm just not there yet. Sure. You know? I didn't, uh, maybe I'm setting unrealistic expectations, but I think that's not a bad thing. Cartoon think, turkey leg? The uh, king eating a turkey yeah, leg? Yeah. Turkey legs are not that good, but when the cartoon king's eating one, they, they look fuck, They love them, dude, you know? <laughs> like, when was the last time you had a good turkey leg, you know? I'd never. I know. I've I'm never good. had a good turkey leg. The Renaissance Fair. I don't even like turkey. That's the problem. I like, see, I like turkey. Um, but the problem is everyone just makes shit turkey. Yes. You know what I yeah. mean? Like Even a good turkey, I would rather eat a chicken. <laughs> yeah. Which, oh, by the way, I, I agree. Like, like, this I, is a topic we talk about quite yeah, often on this right? podcast. About <laughs> why is like the most iconic dish for a holiday in America so poorly turkey. made by so many yeah. people? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like just constantly chasing that chicken dream you know um I, I think a lot of it too is the quality of the birds you know like sure really good chicken now like these green circle birds or sasso birds they're f- fucking expensive man like 40 bucks for a bird you know yes. 50 bucks for a yeah, bird. we're talking about jidori like they're yeah, not they're i not think cheap. jidori though these are beyond these like you get the sasso birds d'artagnan sells them and the fat is bright yellow, and it has a thicker skin. And Are they, like, heritage breed Yeah, it's like birds. a French heritage Because we're seeing more of that, right? Where there's yeah. more access to... Yeah, there is. You know, And everyone talks about the breast chickens in Paris, which I'm not personally a huge fan of. Um, I think... Uh, <clears throat> I don't know. They're just too... The breast meat's too thin, you know? And it's just uh. not... They're good. I'll eat them. But I think uh, there's better breeds of chickens and a breast chicken personally but um these sasso ones are just like gorgeous and people have like thighs and legs like i love thighs and legs i absolutely love them but to me the true test of a good roast chicken is how they do the breast meat yeah and it can be delicious you know um i'm glad you said that because yeah. a lot of people i'm i i say like if you're making a fried chicken sandwich i would like it to be a thigh yeah but People take that as me saying that I don't like breast meat. I, yeah. I love I breast, love meat. breast yeah, it's, meat. Yeah, totally. It's part of the chicken. What are you going to throw it yeah. away? It's but it's, it's different. Often it's good. Not treated properly. Correct. And, you know, so I, you know, I think it's part of the same problem, right? People yeah. are like, ah, eh, it's the breast. Yeah, I, I'm obsessive about brining. You know, I think all mm. all white meat birds should be brined, and most dark bir- meated birds should be dry aged. Um, so I always brine chickens, like always. Like for me, roasting a chicken is a three, four, five day thing. You know, air dry it for three or four days. You know, the longer the better. You know, so it's not just like get a chicken at the. You store do a wet brine. No such thing as a wet brine. That's called a marinade, or uh, that's called a cure, really. So wet. So what do you do brine for is yours? Liquid. You know what I mean. So brining is. Oh right. Yes. Yeah, so you do. Yeah, you do a wet. Say, no, like, do a did wet, I say dry brine? We said wet. Dry brine would be a cure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, so but the, that's what. So you do the. I'm yeah. a little obsessed with the terminology because people are like, oh, these uh, vegetables are confit. I'm like, no, they're not. <laughs> like a confit is traditionally 
done in its own its fat, own yeah, fat, the right. animal, you know yep. people so like a you know a so that's a redundant term a to you it'd be a cure you know wet brine is a redundant term yeah brine is what it cure. is I don't mean to sound like an asshole. No, nope, not at all. That's, um, that's important because yeah, it I, is. But you hear everyone say that it's like, oh, it's a dry brine. You know, it's like, well, it's just it's a cure. Is what it is. Yeah. You know. Yeah, um, sure. And a brine is wet. Cure is dry. You know. So anyway, sorry about that. Uh, I do a wet brine. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, for a good twenty-four hours, and just really. Uh, Traditionally, I was a big fan of just salt water, and I still kind of do, depending on what, what I'm doing with it. But now, you know, adding a ton of aromatics. My new thing is heating the aromatics up in the brine, blitzing them to get all the flavor out, and sure. then putting them back in the brine. And then you're almost like got this murky soup your birds are brining in. Oh, yeah, that but sounds it, awesome. The flavor is just unbelievable, you know. Uh, so it's a, uh, it's, uh, it's fun to play around with that stuff, you know. But like you said, you know, I, in my brain, I just had this idea, and I don't know that it's possibly achievable, you know. But uh, that's what I constantly try and work on. Maybe I'll never get it, you know. Is it, I mean, at least being on that journey to constantly try to make one better, that's, that's a pretty good place to yeah. be. Because well, at the end know, of the day, you're having a bunch of really good chickens. When Landon, you guys know Landon? Yeah. So when yeah. Landon moved to California, we were roommates, and it started at the lockdown, you know. And me and him would do, like, we'd each take turns roasting a chicken every Sunday, mm. you know? And we pretty we had some pretty epic uh, Sunday roast chickens. I bet. Know? Sometimes doing them on the Weber, like, off the heat a little bit for a couple hours, you know? And you just, on a charcoal roasted birds, like, and oh, I'm not yeah. talking about, like, a hard grill on the birds. Like, the whole bird just slowly roasted or charcoal. Yeah. It's just fucking awesome. It's magical. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm yeah. proud of how good I am at grilling chicken. Yeah. And it takes a long time. Oh, you gotta, yeah. Yeah. You have, to, yeah. You have to say this isn't good enough, which I oh, love totally. that about you or any chef yeah. that's good at what they do is that yep. setting that ideal and saying, is there something that mm-hmm. I could possibly change about this to make it better? And you're probably not doing anything weird. You're not like. No, not really. No. Uh-uh. You know, the one thing I do is like, you know, maltose now and brines, which is pretty cool. Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 Um, I like that a lot. Uh, you you got to also kind of watch the sugar content depending on what you're doing with it. If you're brining it and then roasting in a pan, you're going to burn it. You know? mm. So depending if it's like an oven roasted or in a, you know, sauteing and putting in a saute pan, you know, it's really the brine will vary for what it is. So, yeah, man, I don't know. That's that's the the one dream I chase all the time. Not the only one, but, you know, <laughs> but that'd be pretty miserable if that was the <laughs> just dream I have. You know, <laughs> you like the the kids in the hall sausage sketch, but yeah. it's just chicken, <laughs> chicken. <laughs> <laughs> Charles, what about you? My thing's got to be baking, because yeah. you know people feel like people frequently say like I cook or I bake, but rarely is there a crossover. For some reason, we treat competence of those things as though they exist on a seesaw, and I can safely say that for me it's it is probably for lack of trying this i don't bake a lot but i would like to be better at it i don't like to eat a lot of bread on a day-to-day basis i love bread that's the problem yeah there's a loaf of bread i'm gonna eat it see that loaf of bread over there i'm gonna eat it you know it's just it's that's that's a good i find the stuff i truly love i try not to eat that often Mm -hmm. 
Right. You know? Yeah. Just, yeah. That's why we just don't have bread in the house all the time because mm. then I'm going to just eat, I'll just eat the bread. Yeah. I don't need to make a meal out of it. I just rip a piece off and just chomp on it. Uh, I, I would like to explore that more and, and be better at it. Marnie for my 40th took me to Stillwater for a nice little weekend and she took me to Cook's for uh, my first cooking class of all time, and it was a baking class. Wow, awesome. And we had a fucking blast, yeah. and we made some really delicious bread, and it made me think, like, I want to keep it up, and I want to remember what we did and what they said about, you know, I've, I have my um, proofing chamber, my, my Broad and Taylor proofing chamber mm -hmm. that I can use to cheat to make sure that the elements are, you know, consistent regardless of uh, the weather or the humidity. I want to make better use of that, um, I've been saying I'm going to make my own burger buns for a really long time because I like to do my burgers like, I, you know, make my own four cut blend of beef yep. and I make my own aioli. Um, I'll send you a burger bun recipe if you're going to start. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 The, yeah. One, uh, the one that I use is, and I used to like guard it like I didn't get it from somewhere else, mm -hmm. but it's um, equal parts fatty brisket. Um, no, it's on buns, not blend. The buns, yeah. yeah. Oh, if you're yeah, gonna cool. make your own buns. I'll send you certainly. Your yeah, I'd love it's that. It's a good starting point. Cool, cool. I yeah, I would love that. I where I'm starting is uh, Josh Weissman uses that Broad and Taylor um, proofing chamber, and when he wasn't as well known as he is now on YouTube, and I believe he was a baker at the time, he was making these. He would make the um, God, I can't think of the name off the top of my head, but he makes the um, the the sort of starter in the pan. It's got a Japanese name. I can't mm. think of it. That they use for milk bread. Yep. And it's a really cool looking recipe and he's got that broad and Taylor chamber. But I think for me, I just need to dig in a little bit and give it a shot. And, and I'm not, what's weird is I'm not afraid to fail at something that I'm not good at when I'm cooking, but with baking, there's some sort of block in my mind that if I fuck up a loaf of bread, it's like going to be disastrous. My mom's going to yell at me or something. I think I need to get past that and just, Give it a shot. And also not be worried about having bread around mm -hmm. if I start baking bread all the time. I think it's tough, though, because and for me, and I don't, I'm not speaking for either one of you, but one of the things that bothers me about baking is that if you fuck it up, like <clears throat> if there's an error in the equation, it's done. Like you, there's no Ooh, fixing it. Yes. Where Science. most of the things that I make, like mm -hmm. if I go too hard in the paint on something or I don't do something enough, you can kind of judge it and get it to where it needs to be. Art and science. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You know, that's it's more broad strokes that you mm -hmm. can paint with. Whereas if you missed a step or if something wasn't right or something wasn't fresh at the very beginning, you won't know till the end, mm -hmm. but then it's fucked. <laughs> that's, it's like winemaking. Yeah. You know, I ask my buddy Joel about this all the time. I'm like, dude, I, it just fascinates me that you're creating this thing that you don't really know how it's going to be until it's yeah. too late to fix it. Yep. Brewing beer, making wine. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And those things take a great amount of time to find out that you fucked up. Absolutely. Well. Absolutely. <laughs> well, I mean, honestly, like a good baguette was, was what I was thinking of. Yeah. Like good baguettes. I don't, changing. I don't fuck around that much with bread. It's just not, I'm not obsessed with it. I just don't love bread that much, but a really good baguette, is such a good compliment to so many dishes. I just love it. And I've made okay ones. My wife has made better ones. And I feel like I just need to commit to it because I always feel shitty like going and buying one when I know I could make this and I mm -hmm. just haven't. And I feel, <clears throat> I feel the same way about Lefsa also being a good Scandinavian boy. Yeah. Uh, I am still in the, this sucks, I don't want to do it, I'll just buy it instead. 
But then every time I buy it, I'm like, I'm sure I could figure this out. Yeah. Like that's, it just sucks. And really with How left, cool would it be if you figure it out? You know? Yeah. And that's, I just have to give lefts of the same amount of time. And it's replicable. Given, that's the other key. Yeah. Can you do this on <laughs> Remembering a what you did. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so those are the two that, that really like stick out as like, I feel guilty every time I buy it because I should be yeah. able to do this. But I, I think baking an exceptional baguette in a home oven is an extremely difficult thing to do. For sure. You know? Um, True. Of course. Yeah. There was, I, I forget the baker's name, but there was a great place for baguettes here. No, 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 no. Was, she had won some awards in France, too, I think, and her baguettes were just stellar, you know. I don't know, the baguette's a good, it's a, it's a good, damn good piece of bread. <laughs> I got obsessed with making, uh, uh, I forget the name, it's a Vietnamese, like, braised beef and carrot dish you know and it looks almost like a french style stew you know like a mm. pot or something and, sure and you like get a great baguette and like dip it in there and you know, oh so, so goddamn good that's what it is it's i love sauces yeah and there's nothing oh, there's there's no better edible spoon for saucing than there, than a crunchy actually, on the outside soft on the inside 100 percent. i saw this new this uh the restaurant i'm at now helping out uh they're dishes on the menu that come with I specifically we have a really great baker had her do little tiny bits of bread to go with it because I oversauce these mm. dishes unintentionally you know like this duck au poivre you know and like uh, it'll have a Oof. little bit of vegetable garnish whether it's ramps or green asparagus or whatever you know but then it's just this beautiful like au poivre sauce jacked with like cognac and cream and all and then it comes with this little uh uh side of bread like you know the beef dish i did had a cube of like uh black trumpet layered uh brioche you know oh, a perfect cube fuck. and then the duck dish the <laughs> duck dish on. had like a caramelized shallot like little miniature loaf so the idea was you know it comes with the dish and you eat it and then you can mop up the that's the thing that the keller that's restaurants heavenly, always yeah. get right right like yeah. when you get a dish in there is even a, a, a smidgen of excess sauce mm -hmm. a little piece of bread of some sort comes mm -hmm. to the table because I think a lot of people find themselves dreaming of that when you go to a restaurant and there's a little sauce. You want to be, you want to leave it on the table, and when they come to take yeah. your plate, you're like, "No, actually, I was going to ask if you is that yeah. like a little, yeah, little just, just give me a little. You don't want to waste something. it, you know? mm -hmm. Yeah, those elements. It's starch, you know. Yep. Just the sauce when you're eating uh, Chinese food or or mm -hmm. Thai Vietnamese, whatever, and just the 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 that beautiful fluffy rice eats up yep. that excess, and then you're able to scoop that into your mouth. It's magical oh, it's the best and again the amount of work as going back to the curry discussion the amount of work that went into getting that sauce that perfect like oh, i yeah. want to honor that i want every single drop from this plate mm -hmm. and yeah i could lick the plate but sometimes a little bit of bread is also kind of yeah. fun add oh, a little yeah. texture to it's it you know great. yep it's, it's a very great. lebanese thing to take just what if there's sauce left in your bowl you drink it mm -hmm. just, you don't Send really? it away. I like yeah, that. Don't be shy. You know, tip it up to your mouth and drink yeah. the rest. Yeah. yeah, even like your salad, just a standard Lebanese salad with iceberg, mm -hmm. lemon, olive oil, garlic powder, mm. yes. tomatoes, radishes, mint. If there's that dressing, which is not made, it's made in the bowl. Like they don't make it on the side. When you're done, you drink it, or you like dip a shrimp in it or something. Where do you go for Lebanese food? Or do you make it at home? I go to my mom's house. 
Perfect. I don't, yeah, I should. Yeah. This is the thing we were talking about on Yia's episode. I want to, I want, that's the only thing that I didn't cook when I learned to cook. I learned to cook because my mom was, you know, sorry, mom, shit at making anything else. <laughs> terrible spaghetti, terrible steak, uh, air quotes, because yeah, it's yeah. a ball tip that she would roast in the oven for an hour at 250. Yeah. Uh, and I, I felt like I wanted to explore some, I was watching PBS and, learning to, to make dishes but that's something that i really need to work on is being able to 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 make lebanese food but yeah if i want lebanese food i'm like hey ma can you make me some kofta you know it's like yeah that's, that's awesome that's what i do <laughs> to be able to have that though like that's just super special oh yeah you know? i uh, i'm sure that uh in the future i'm gonna look back on it and realize it's nice to put that into focus and realize how fortunate i am yeah. to have yep. that yep. because in the future i'm gonna feel even more fortunate, especially when I can't have that anymore. Yeah. Enjoy it while you S can. Side digression. Did you also grow up in a well-done steakhouse? Uh, no. Con you know, so my dad, when I was born, my father, he for years he was a uh, sous chef at the Drake Hotel in Chicago. Oh, I love the Drake. So, yeah. And this is back in the 60s. You know, mm. and when I came along, he, he quit as my mom was pregnant with me, uh, one of my favorite pictures I've hanging in my fridge is my brother and my sister, my dad wearing this tall chef coat, and my mom's pregnant with me, and they're at this function at the Drake, you know. So he became a, a paramedic and firefighter. So all growing up, that's what he did, you know, and my mother and him owned a diner as well. But um, the food was good, but I do have a great story. Like, my, my, my mother came from a very, she's one of 17 and a very... Or Mexican migrant farm worker wow. family. So, 17. Yeah, 17. 16. I don't know if I should say this, but I'm good anyway. My grandfather, God bless him, 16 kids with his wife and one with the neighbor lady. So, <laughs> <laughs> which we didn't find out about till a few years ago. Like, oh, my uh, God. Yeah. Wow. Totally. You know, uh, apparently, she, this woman who lives in Arizona did this 23andMe thing and matched with my Uncle Juan or something like that. You know, yeah. It's a crazy story, you know. Uh, so, my mother left, she grew up in McAllen, Texas, which is like right by, I think Reynosa, Mexico is the next yeah. town over, you know, so her older sister moved up to Chicago, and when my mom was 16 or 17, she moved up there to get a job and make money, because you know, she grew up like picking cotton, and she was actually born outside of Detroit, because it was apple season, and they're in Michigan picking apples, you know. Wow. Um, so, my dad tells the story, that they, you know, they, my my father and mother met in a restaurant. My mom was a server. My dad was a cook, you know. Uh, and when they got married, he bought this, like, ribeye and brought it home, you know. And then he, like, went to work the next day or whatever. And she was going to make her turn. And she, like, boiled it. <laughs> like, just boiled. Because back then, they, yep. they boil the shit out of stuff, shred it, cook it with spices, make tacos, you know. Uh, and he comes home, and she had, like, boiled the shit out of this giant ribeye he bought. So... Uh, but that was before I was born. But no, I, I was fortunate to grow up in a pretty good food family, you know, just with, uh, you know, my mother made fantastic Mexican food. And, uh, you know, my father was a very well-trained chef. And, you know, so it was always like, uh, there was always decent food. You know? Charles and I have just, we've laughed about this before that um, his mom would do 250 in the oven until there was <laughs> nothing left. And uh, I grew up, uh, the only way that I had ever seen a steak cooked 
was in the toaster oven with the broiler setting. Really? Yep. And that was that. My mom would get no name steaks, and she would pop them out of the little plastic package mm-hmm. and put them on the little broiler tray and just and like crank there. it. In yep. The... So he, I mean, like some of these old school steak, like Corpus Five O'clock Club in Milwaukee, which used to be one of my favorite. It's all broiler stuff, but their broilers are ripping. It's not like a home broiler, you know. Yeah. Like, yeah, like, that's it. Like, how were they? Thousand. You know what's funny is like I think back on them, and I, I, I didn't. There are a few dishes from my childhood that I mm-hmm. vehemently disliked. Yeah, I did not dislike those steaks. Yeah. I, uh, I grew up uh, for whatever reason. I decided that I would put Kikkoman teriyaki sauce. Oh, yeah. on my steak. Love it. And that was like a well done no name steak. With, with Kikkoman teriyaki. That's killer. That's very much like a flavor I, of my yeah, childhood. And yeah. I still, there's a, a restaurant that I worked at. Um, it was my first restaurant job after college. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was called Hops Food and Brewery. It was around for a little while. It was like, mm-hmm. it was like ahead of the micro beer sure, trend. Sure. Yep. Um, but for whatever reason, they had like Jamaican flares on their menu. Uh, yeah, like they, they had uh, walleye dishes, but it came with like a Walker's Wood jerk sauce. Wow. It was very, it, the whole thing is kind of a mess when I think back to it. But they had a steak on there that was, uh, it was marinated for three days in uh, soy sauce, pineapple, and ginger. Yeah, pineapple is a natural tenderizer. It's Absolutely. It's got in it. So it's, I worked, my first cooking job that was not my parents' restaurant, I was, worked at a Ponderosa Steakhouse. Yes. And we were all teenagers, me and, like, three or four of my high school buddies, and we just smoke weed and, like, fuck off at work and stuff, you know. But on the weekends, after a busy night, you had to pull the steaks from the freezer for the next day. Sure. Based on what you sold. But I remember looking at the box, and it had pay paint on the ingredients. I'm like, why doesn't it just say beef? Why is it there? And then I had to feel like, what's pay? And it, like, it's present papayas and pineapples and... That stuff, and it's literally like this meat. T- like if you eat a diet of raw pineapples, it'll eat away your face after time. It will <laughs> it'll for fuck real. You like up. Your teeth, your gums, like everything. You sure. Know? So yeah. Okay, go ahead. I'm well, sorry. no, that I, I just I it mimicked all of those flavors. Yeah. It was it was what That's is present awesome. yeah. in present in teriyaki, yeah. and I couldn't I didn't realize it right away because I was still on my own little like mm-hmm. learning to cook journey, but that became like oh this is why that. This is why that is. Yeah. And this is why that tastes good there. And this is why, to this day, I still make that steak. That's good. It's just, it's. See those childhood memories and stuff that make you feel a certain way too. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah I, speaking of feeling like you're at home. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. You know? That's it. I try to think of some dishes my mom would make like that, that I, you know, my dad still kind of keeps. So my mom used to make this like beef soup with like marrow bones and spaghetti noodles oh. in it for so, which I hated as a kid but now I'm like I would probably fucking love that but my dad you know my mom passed 20 years ago but my dad still makes some of her childhood recipes you know which is which is kind of cool that's amazing um, she'd make this barbecue beef and like the pot roast like the the, the oh god what am I what do you call it the crock pot yep and she put like whole lemons in it it was just disgusting <laughs> Fuck, that's gross. My dad loved it though, so it's like I don't know why, but yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, but I, I grew up overall with a really good food family. You know, like the food was always good, especially that's the holidays. Right. You know. Yep. So for me, it was Le- the Lebanese food. That is that what mom, you guys are doing the holidays? If, like if my if mom family's had, getting together. Yeah. So we kind of we have this dynamic now where I cook 
uh, holiday meals if they're not Lebanese food. Got you it. know, I've been doing Thanksgiving for 17 or 18 years. Wow. And I do a version of the Feast of the Seven Fishes on Christmas Eve, but it's just Italian food. Yeah. yeah. It turned into just Italian food. You know, so I make arancini and mm-hmm. like that's my traditional, sure. the, that's the linchpin. I make arancini. And then there's other elements as well. Uh, but we do, at least if it's up to me, and I'm talking to my mom about the menu, Christmas Day, I want Lebanese food. She usually makes a giant Lebanese feast. And then we have leftovers, Italian and Lebanese leftovers for like fucking days. 19 days. <laughs> yeah. That was at my house. would be like my dad's Scandinavian. My mother's Mexican. So it would be like limpa bread and potato sausage and herring and then like enchiladas and like different Mex- <laughs> it was like a really weird, but it was fun you know we the same meal friends over yeah like, same yeah, meal. It was like a cool. big buffet thing oh, they do out it. there and Fuck yeah. they'd invite some of the church friends over and like you know my dad would rent a projector from the library this is going back a ways like, <laughs> i'm gonna be 50 this year so uh and we watch like mark's brothers movies or like you know three stooges movies you oh know, that's like, awesome that sounds fantastic yeah it was great it was good great childhood memories you know what do you think charles uh yeah. Should we do a little cheers and bring her, into the, bring her into the station? Could you bring over some Fernet for me? I can. Please, my friend. I can and I may and I may and I can. You may, you can, you will. All right. Final topic. Oh boy, what is it? Oh, yeah, this is, this is one I've been keeping for a while, and you could answer this a different way on any given day, and we like to say that on this podcast. What seemingly impossible technology do you hope is created within your lifetime or do you hope is never created? Well, that's a good question. Uh, hope is never created. You know what really freaks me out is, uh, what do they call it now? I'm oh, cheers, by the way. Oh, cheers. Yeah. Um, you know, like computers taking over the world, you know? Uh, what do they call that? It's a, AI? AI, yeah. Like, that freaks me the hell out. Like, uh, I just... The singularity? Which just the fact that, already that the something point where it's that we've created can potentially take over from us. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I think there's stuff going on now. I, I, admittedly, I'm a bit of a conspiracy theorist. I don't believe we landed on the moon. Um, okay. I'll just say that. I don't care what anybody right. says against that. You have your opinions. Yeah, yeah. You, uh, you have your opinions. I have my facts. Um, <laughs> Isn't that QAnon's mission uh, <laughs> statement? Well, it's uh, yeah, exactly right. Yeah, I do not support that in whatsoever. No, yeah. um, okay, good. We got that out of the way. Yeah. All right. Uh, <laughs> but the, the it's kind of freaky to think about something that can that's created by man that could potentially you know. Like, uh, like, what are the quantum computers and stuff yep. now? I'm really obsessed with these books. Uh, this writer, Jack, Jack Carr is his name, and he's a retired Navy SEAL. And he's a writer, and he writes these. Years ago, my dad kind of got me in these, hooked on these W.E.B. Griffith books that are like, you know, war fiction kind of novelist. Mm. You know, the guy's probably wrote 100 books, you know. Yeah. But Jack Carr kind of does it, but kind of for my generation, you know. And, okay. and I'm really, I like military history a lot. And I, you know, I love the history, you know, that kind of stuff. And, but he, he has these series of books called The Terminal List. And his latest one just came out. Um, and he really digs deep into, like, quantum computers. And you know, he has this character who's, you know, the guy in all the books, you know, who's constantly 
you know, obviously people are trying to kill him, you know. And, uh, but he goes down and deep into the government where they have this quantum computer. And listening to podcasts with Jack Carr, he talks about how he's, his books are all very well researched, you know. Mm. Um, and he's a really nutty tool and gear guy, you know. And uh, so he, I listened to him on this podcast. He said he interviewed a lot of people that are high up doing the computer stuff for the government. And he's like, they'll never tell you everything. You know what I mean? Yeah, but he's like, if you interview enough of them, the people who leave some stuff out will be said by someone else who leaves something else out, and then you can kind of piece the whole picture sure. together, sure, you know? Sure. Or they sneak out a little information during yeah, times where exactly. people are in so, distress. Like, aliens are real, by the way, during the pandemic. Well, who was the Canadian <laughs> Minister of Defense who came out and said that we've actually contacted aliens? Um yeah, that made the Google rounds. It. Yeah, yeah, it's, that was. Yeah, he was an old guy, but <laughs> yeah. So anyway, that kind of reading his new book, which I 100 percent understand it's fiction, but it's just makes you think that you know what what are the ability you know that like you can already track humans just by what's in our pocket mm-hmm. and the cameras on the street and you know I remember years ago just pretty fucking morbid but. Uh, I, I think uh, someone had killed somebody in this college town, and they were basically able to follow this person with all the street cameras. Right. And just lead them, you know? Yep. So it's like, how far is that going to go? And how far, you know, like, so that kind of. Minority I, I don't think report. we need to. I don't See, think we need to. That's fiction, too. Minority report is fiction, yeah. but technically. Yeah. 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 Well, that's, you know, uh, so I guess that would be it. Like, I think maybe we should rethink some of these things you know like i don't want to computers take over the world it sounds crazy but like i don't think anyone really knows how far we are you know we could be closer to yeah. that than people think because they're not going to tell us Does that sound weird not at no, all because i think sounds, we no, that's are. that's salient that's very yeah. true if um, there was a meteor about to strike us tomorrow yeah. do you think they would tell us or do you think i don't they think they would wouldn't because it just like it creates too much pandemonium yeah you know what i mean they right. just feel like okay if we legit can't do anything about this, just let's keep everyone calm and, mm-hmm. you know, which I don't think that maybe it'll happen. I don't know, you know. Um, what was the other? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess that would be it. It's kind of a freaky thing to really think about how, you know, in, in the book, and not to turn this into a, a book report by Eric Anderson, uh, <laughs> the character um, interacts with this quantum computer who has a name and, Starts, you're wearing goggles, you know, like, uh, what do you call them? Uh, virtual reality goggles. And yeah. The face of the computer becomes clearer the better she gets to know you. And she can access things like, as long as you have a cell phone or you're near someone who has a cell phone, you can track movements. And, like, you, I, I think you can just figure out everything about people now with, you know, with just what's in our pockets. And it's kind yeah. of freaky. I mean, I'd, I'd echo you on that. Uh, like, my fun answer is uh, a thought that I had while watching uh, Yia's episode of Iron Chef mm-hmm. that I just, I would love to be able to smell what's on TV. You I would really, I would smell a vision 100. Like, yeah. I, I hope someday. You've been dreaming about that for a long time. Yeah. Uh, the chef farts, though. Well, I mean, again, it doesn't have to be all smells. If you're <laughs> yeah, the one yeah. producing it, like, put yeah. that out there. But I remember going to, to uh, Disney World years ago, and they have um, 
it, it it's like you're you're it's basically filmed from a hang glider and they call it 4D theater because like you're in a seat but they're they're blowing wind on your face and the seat moves with all that but you go over an orange grove and instantly the movie theater smells like oranges and then you go near a forest fire and you can smell the smoke it's like being in Abercrombie and Fitch in 1997 yeah only only the only smell that came out of that was <laughs> yeah. that horrific cologne choking as you walk through the door yeah but like i really loved i i it was fascinating because that was the last layer that really made me believe I was hang gliding, even though I'm sitting in a seat next to my brother. Like, yeah. but it it it's made like me an extra layer mm-hmm. beyond mystery mind theater. What they call you it? Mystery mind theater at yeah the Mall of America. At the Mall of America, yeah. Moving yeah. seat. Yep. Yeah. So, like for me, again, just watching this cooking show, they kept talking over and over about how good the food smelled. And I'm like, fuck you, man. Like, that would yeah. be like if I spent this entire time talking about how beautiful the stranger was right here, right? Like, nobody listening can see that. Yeah. So, for me, I would love that. I just talking think about be, Eric. Yeah. Yes, of course. Looks That's great. Right. His hair looks beautiful just, yeah. today. But, like, you. you know, to have that, like, the, the iconic, like, thunderstorm scene in a movie, to be able to smell rain. Like, like I think that would be... a full sensory experience. Yeah. I, it just adds that extra layer of, of oh, man, believability. Yeah. Absolutely. But I, I also, Eric, I'm going to echo you on that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you guys followed the story from... started two weeks ago is when it broke, but one of the senior programmers in an offshoot from Google, uh, there's a, a company, a subsidiary of Google called Lambda mm-hmm. that's working on an AI translator. So it's being fed into this massive quantum computer. It's being fed all of the languages ever and then aspects of that. And he, I'm trying to, it was like with the Intercept or the Atlantic or the Guardian, one of them. Anyway, he did an interview and he's like, it's already sentient. It's speaking to us. It's telling me it's lonely. It's telling me that it acknowledges what's going on. And now there's another group from Google that's downplaying that and saying, no, it's predictively saying these things because this is how people interact. Mm-hmm. But either way, whether or not it's this Lambda computer system or... Not many steps are moved. Right, like we're, we can't be that far away from that. And we're I, already passed the point of no return yeah. with singularity and like five years ago, correct. six years ago. And, you know, living in a society that is uh, currently being wrestled down by people who believe in a magic book, like... I don't think that anyone is even remotely prepared for yeah, what could, happens. Couldn't an AI happens. rightfully say, you guys have no idea what you're doing? Yep. Well, you know, like, <laughs> first off, I want to know why they called it Lambda. It's like, an, the, it's remember a, the Tri-Lambs and Revenge of the Nerds? <laughs> yeah, it already sounded eerie. Yeah, yeah. the second Lambda, said Lambda, Lambda. Lambda. Uh, Google offshoot called Lambda, yeah. I was like, You know, oh, I no. actually, this oh, is no. a little side note. Speaking of Revenge of the Nerds. And I 100% brought that up just to work in this story. I'm so happy. I actually have a bottle of... Frenet. We love digressions here. Yeah, a friend. bottle of Fernet Branca signed by Robert Carradine. Who, Shut the fuck yeah, up. For so, I don't know why. <laughs> that's, the, that's the most obscure <laughs> yeah. flex ever, but I fucking love it. He was doing a speaking event. Did you spill a, some Fernet in his lap? Well, I don't... Yeah, right? I, well, I never even met him. All he right, was doing this. this speaking event in Nashville, I believe, and... Someone came over to the restaurant and they're like, here, this is from 
Robert Carradine. It's a signed bottle of Fernet Branca to the catbird seat, you know? That's awesome. And I still have it at my house. I don't think I'll ever open it. That's one of but, the coolest gifts yeah, I've ever Me and Josh heard. just went back and cooked for the 10-year anniversary of the restaurant, and I call him, like, should I bring that bottle? Should we crack it open? He's like, no, dude, we can't ever open that. You know, it's sitting <laughs> on a shelf at my house, you know? But no, the, it, it's so much information so quickly. It's just, because what do they say, like a normal computer... I'm really bad at this, but was it like plus and minus or zeros and ones or mm-hmm. something? Yeah, and binary. then a quantum computer is basically like rolling a marble. Right. Like it's just constantly, mm-hmm. you know. So it just, I can't even think about it too. Like me and Craig, my, I've talked about my chef because like we carpool to work now because we work about 32 minutes away. He lives a block from me. But, and he's an extremely intelligent human being. Uh, and we'll just get on these topics like this. And I'm just like, I, I got to stop talking about this like on the car. Cause it's just like, I, my brain just can't. Yeah. That's you know? enough. That's enough. Yeah. I'm not saying stop now, but I'm just saying, <laughs> no, yeah. well, it's well, freaky, you know, I suppose we should have Charles weigh in. Like yeah. what, uh, what, what technology do you want or are you wary of? Yeah. We could get in an extended conversation about quantum physics and then make people turn off the podcast <laughs> after they've made it this far. Hi, thank you for being, making it this far. First of all, we love you. Uh, I'll, I'll very briefly touch on the technology we shouldn't have. Uh, robots we have sex with, okay? Like that's Yeah, that's a little weird. Um, and it's not a morality thing. It's just that that's, that combined with the other things that you guys have been talking about, mm-hmm. I don't know, man. Sex robots, they, they're probably not going to like us very much. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So that's, oh, that's, totally. <laughs> the thing that I would like to see in my lifetime and you got to say for better or worse because it could go horribly wrong, but warp speed, scientifically, it's been said for many years, never going to happen. There was an article published about the fact that we would never fly like literally 19 days before the Wright brothers flew. Mm-hmm. It was that tight. Or is we're humans will never fly. And then, or they no, I said, I said, uh, it said it's going to take another, I, I don't remember exactly. Obviously this is, you know, from, from a, a long time ago that I recall reading about this, but there was this long form article published. that said humans won't fly for another hundred years or mm-hmm. a couple hundred, 200 years, something like that. And the Wright brothers are like, LOL, check this shit out. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yep. So what is warp speed? Just like, uh, traveling at light speed, light speed yeah. traveling okay. at light speed, yeah. which, it doesn't scientifically it doesn't make sense mm-hmm. does it mean that we can't figure it out probably how fast is that like the speed in, of light the speed no but light. like in miles per hour if you could break it oh down i used to, to i used to have this memorized yeah, yeah and i very recently was listening to a podcast where all of the numbers were laid out very clearly but that's for all the things that i remember very clearly that's not one of the things where i could quote to you exactly yeah, yeah. but what, it's fast well, i'm looking it up but it's like blistering fast even if you think of, so if you, if, if the, the sun, what we see as the sun, if the sun exploded, mm-hmm. uh, we would have light for another, and again, I don't remember yeah. the exact number. It'd be like 70 days. We'd have 70 days of, of sun because yeah. it's so far away yeah. that we wouldn't yeah. even yeah. know. So we're looking at the sun 70 it days away, basically. Days ago. We got no idea. Yeah, so we would have sun and we wouldn't know and we'd be fine. And then wow. suddenly it'd be like, bye-bye. Like, it's... Game over. Uh, that's the light of the sun. I don't know about the other effects of the yeah. fucking sun exploding. Our, our sun I'd exploding. Uh, so it's rough, roughly 170,000 miles per second. What would that do to your body? It would just destroy you. Yeah. Exactly. That's why it would have to be by some other process 
beyond literal speed of travel. It yeah. would have to be yeah. some other. That's why it would be. That's why I say warp speed because it would have to be something that is like transporting yeah. you. Almost have you a guys form of teleportation. Elon Musk talk about how he believes we're living in a computer simulation. Yes. Yeah, elongated muskrat yeah. uh, has a lot of opinions. I uh, <laughs> I I'm not an Elon Musk fan, but I had two roommates in San Francisco who I didn't even know. It was later one of these Craigslist. I need a room now, you know. Yeah. And they were obsessed with. They were both young entrepreneurs, you know, but sure. they were obsessed with Elon Musk. This is before. This is before we knew that he was just a weirdo. Yeah. And so they would just watch like stuff, and I remember sitting down watching. I'm like, God, it's just so. I don't understand how anyone could really think that. But he seems very passionate about his thoughts on the subject. You know? I just find it fascinating that we can give him an entire that like, much yeah, giant yeah. like celebrity platform and Absolutely. credit. Meanwhile, like one of the greatest moments of my life of these 42 years on this planet was getting to go and take a tour at CERN, mm -hmm. uh, the Large Hadron Collider in Switzerland. Oh, and cool. watching what they're doing right now and what in what's an incredibly short window. Like basically this research started right after World War II and to now, every time that they smash two particles together, they take in like, and of course this is how I measured it. Mm -hmm. They <laughs> take in roughly 70,000 times the amount of data that I have on my biggest really? DJing hard drive. Like it's literally like 70 to 80,000 terabytes for every single time two particles hit. They can take in that much data, That's and then crazy. they're modeling how that works, and they're, what they're trying to figure out is is cold fusion to have a, a limitless you know, energy my supply. It's a plot of half-life, The place me and Landon <laughs> lived, it was owned by this older couple when this guy was French, and he, all he did was, he's like 80-something, Alain was him. He still lives next door to me. All he does is work on cold fusion all day. And he showed me his little lab and stuff. You know, I have no idea what the hell any of it meant. But well, the, yeah. the, so that was one of the things that fascinated me was it's such an incredible amount of data that they mm -hmm. take in that we still don't have computers anywhere near large enough to process all that. So what they have is pop up scientists yeah. all over the world. Yeah. And each of them get different parcels of that data. And it's up to them to break down what happened in that little parcel of data and then they send it Connect back, the and then they put the puzzle back together wow. again. And it, like, it was truly, truly, truly humbling to understand that people who share the same DNA as I made this happen. Like, yeah. It was on such a different level to see what human intellect can do and the fact that the original scientists set it up so that all of the data is also free and open. Mm -hmm. so, even more humbling to understand that even humans on that level of consciousness know so little because we don't really know yep. anything. And for everybody listening every, out there. Every decade that passes, we realize how little we understand if you either, the way the universe works. <laughs> yes, 100%. If you either A, uh, are feeling too good about humanity and want to take it down a couple notches, or B, <laughs> if you have the... Uh, the mental and emotional fortitude to acknowledge how dumb we are as a species. Look up CERN and then click on the Google reviews and sort, <laughs> I know sort I mean, worst to first. And just read through the one-star reviews. No apples for their kids, right? You brought this up before. Unfucking like, believable. I'm no just I'm asking you if you if you <laughs> if you want to have some fun, yeah. just just go through it. It is the most 
we're never going to make it as a species moment that I've ever had. Oh my God. I just, I also want to mention that I saw this tweet about Elon Musk a couple of weeks ago. And actually that's a spoiler alert. I wish I hadn't said that, but someone said, um, if a monkey took so many bananas that like no other monkeys could have bananas, we'd send a team of scientists to study it. But Elon Musk does it. And we put him on the cover of Forbes. I was like, Oh my God, that's good. <laughs> that's legit. So good. Awesome. Fucking it. legit. <laughs> wow. Oh, well, here we are. Yeah, I think we did it. Did we, we? Had, we, had, we had a good time. We did I had a do blast. How is how how is your hangover? Has it it's, subsided at it's all? It's like coming in waves. I'm gonna go down the street to Quang immediately. That, I haven't even eaten yet. I don't think I ate much yesterday. There may not be a better re- remedy than I think a bowl you're of absolutely off. right on that. You know, and then uh, I gotta be at the in-laws' house tonight. Uh, we're gonna spend a night with them. So nice. Yeah, but I, I think I'll feel better once I get a little food in my system. But it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you guys. I can't thank you enough for having me. For everybody out there listening, uh, where where would you direct them to come find you? Uh, to I the restaurant, really to the Insta? Do, like social media-wise? or Yeah, I only do Instagram, really. Uh, it's A-I-R-I-C-K-72. Uh, Eric72. Uh, and then currently right now, I'm uh, helping out at a place called Barn Diva in Healdsburg. Uh, working on opening a space probably mid next year in Calistoga, um, and then making some caviar and uh, just beginning to start uh, doing a book. So. One more time for people that are looking for that caviar, they go to uh, California. It's called Piper Caviar. You can order it on uh, California Caviar, and I believe their website is. Hold on, stand dun, dun, by. Dun, 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 dun. California, I can still spell. First thing that uh, pops up if they Google it, but yeah, if you have the... Did it show up? Oh, yeah. Yep. Where is it? California Caviar Company uh, in Sausalito. Their website is... Oh, my God. Come on. <laughs> they ship to... Calif- yeah, CaliforniaCaviar.com. You can do one ounce. You can do 4.4 ounce yeah. if you're having, like, a real fucking party. Oh, yeah. Get nice. a good ripper. And then just go under the partners section, private label... And then you'll see a pretty average picture of me. Mm. And you just click In a on, bathtub with Fernet? Yeah, I wish. That's what they <laughs> yes. should have used. I'm going to have to start doing that. That would be yeah, it's it's pretty. I'll send. I'll text you guys a photo of that one when I get it. Yeah. Oh, I would love to see. Maybe we'll or use go that. Go buy in. the Munchies Cookbook, which is actually a pretty great book. Um, oh, that show is like maybe yeah. my favorite food show of yep. all time. The one this we is did so was just fun. epic. Like the lady who produced was like, I've never seen anybody consume that much alcohol in like the three or four. You know, it was That's a, actually that is quite the compliment company, for yeah. that, yeah, for that the show. Thing, she's like, we were actually worried for a little while, but uh, it was fun. You know, we went all <laughs> over the place. You know, we started out at Capert's Suite, then we went to Husk, and then we went to uh, Rolf and Daughters, and then we went to a bar 308s, and then back to Capert's Seat for like late night drunk snacks and it was it was and the cool thing was like some of the guys who filmed had gone with dennis rodman to north korea holy shit to oh, wow. film All or right. like hearing some of the <laughs> stories about that like getting absolutely shithoused with kim jong you know like that's the sounds, last, and dinner they all had to the go to and yeah it was pretty pretty cool to like hear some of the stories <laughs> about that i'm so jealous of that unbelievable oh. Well, thank you to all of you out there for listening uh, again, and cheers to everybody. I hope you've uh, poured yourself a drink if you're not piloting an automobile down the highway uh, and playing along with us. We love having you around. 
Uh, Charles, anything in particular you want to give a shout out to? Not at all. This was fantastic, and I'm. Uh, I want to say I'm pleased we were able to get Eric on the program. Yeah, thank you so much for the time. Thank you. Obviously, guys. didn't really have a ton of time it. here, so uh, I'm. I just want to say that I'm honored that you made some time for 100%. us. Thank you. Well, uh, tune in again. The next app will be dropping sometime soon. And until then, cheers, and we love you.